Remember when you used to buy DVDs for $20 a piece? Now that very same DVD is somewhere in a landfill next to a rotten piece of cheese. But you know America has way more longevity than a piece of shit DVD. So, donate to America. It'll feel real good. Donate to America. All will be right with the world. Donate to America. It'll feel real good. Donate to America. All will be right with the universe. Ben Rich in 1994. Ben, how do they get here? How does the propulsion system work? And Ben turns around and says, well, I want to ask you a question. What do you know about ESP? Jan Hartson says, it means everything in time and space is connected. Everything's one. It's all connected. So that's how it works. Okay, guys. Welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with one and only Grant Cameron again a little bit later. And Red Pill Junkie joined us as well. And as usual, Grant managed to squeeze manages to squeeze probably four hours of convo into three hours of airtime. <laughs> so it's another uh, another good one. But uh, of course, first, as always, the one and only Graham Quick Witted Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm actually excited about this one because I think this Grant Cameron episode could be one of my all time favorites. It'll end up being one of them for sure. Bigger. Yeah, there's some really new, interesting stuff in here. And of course, we talk about Grant's new book, Charlie Red Star, that's been around for decades, and then he's finally published it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just the, the link to the South American sightings and his book in, in that way. And then there's also uh, interesting stuff about the government and the CIA and meetups. Yeah, it seems like, portals. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Interesting. It's like a spy novel. Yeah. Totally. It's like Ephraim's book. Yeah. Like Ephraim's book come to life. Yeah. And he knows so much about it. That's good. Maybe Ephraim's our handler. Yeah, maybe. Made it seem like we found him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right from the beginning. Right from the beginning. The handlers usually come around later, not yeah. the first show. Right away, they were like, fuck these guys. Well, the website had been around for a while. So, yeah, this is a fun one. Absolutely. It's a good one. What's oh, you were you? going to say something about you could put it on three-quarter speed or something? Well, yeah, you could put it on three-quarter speed. It would probably... Sometimes Grant's a little fast for some people. Even me, I have trouble keeping up. Really? Especially, oh, like, Red, imagine Red. How Red, has, Red has trouble keeping up, for sure. You mentioned it. So, Red, put it on three-quarter speed. And, I, and it comes across like I'm talking right now on three-quarter speed. I checked his last episode out that we had him on on three-quarter speed, and it sounds about, like, my speed. Oh, was that on three-quarter speed? We need to check it yeah, out. That was oh, a, okay. that was yeah, that was on three already quarter on three-quarter. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounded very normal. Yes. <laughs> so, just a little tip, Grant Cameron tip. I, I don't know. I, I keep up with them fine. I like the fast talkers. Do you? Yeah. I bet you do. And the fast walkers. Yeah, I bet that too. So, do you want to talk about... Wait it. Do you want to talk about fast walkers, or do you want to get into support, or UFO quote? It's a UFO-centric episode, so... Jump right into it. Into what? UFO quotes. Sure. Down and Graham going deep. It's a profound UFO quote of the week. Words to ponder and critique. 
profound UFO quote of the week. All right, so this one is Colonel Holloman. Holloman. Brought out a piece of what appeared to be metallic debris. He went on to explain that this was material that had come from a New Mexico crash in 1947 of an extraterrestrial craft. And that was discussed at length. I got an opportunity to travel with the president, Eisenhower, and he was very, very interested in what made the UFOs go. But what happened was that Eisenhower got sold out. He realized that he was going to lose control of the UFO subject. He realized that the study of these technologies was not going to be in the best hands. That was a real concern. And that was General Stephen Lovkin, U.S. Army. That's from Disclosure, page 230 to 236. Kind of fits in with um, that Eisenhower warning of the military-industrial complex. And he's like, well, I was going to get into UFOs, but it got a little too dangerous, and it was going to get out of control. So I just... Backed off, so beware of the military-industrial complex. Who said that, Eisenhower? Well, he, I, he didn't say what I just said. I'm just saying oh. he did. He did that famous speech of him: "Be wary of the military-industrial complex." I've heard that speech more times in the last five years than ever, or last two years than ever. That's right. So, what do you think? I think it's always been like that. Throughout history, it's always been more times in the last two years than ever. No. Starting in like the 70s. No. No, no just recently. Because it could have been very minute at the beginning and then it just slowly, because before you'd have to have it on like a VHS tape. Like, hey, I got this Eisenhower speech on a VHS tape. You'll find it's worn a little thin. I don't think so. No? No. <laughs> okay. Just wondering. What else you got? Well, maybe I'll do something. Okay. Wrong jingle. Bingo, bingo, social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or subscribe to the Grime America newsletter. Bingo, bingo, social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or subscribe to the Grime So we'll go to the YouTubes. All right. Oh, the Troll Haven. This should what be do we fun. Got? We got, I don't like how he is acting all scared and like he will be threatened, but he doesn't even say what the hell any of this means or does. Uh, who's this now? Uh, oh, that's on Ed Nightingale. Did you read any of these ahead of time, or did no. you just totally wing it? Yeah, we'll, we'll skip that one. Seems like bad grammar. Uh, number 242 from our one and only Felix Ortega, who's currently kicked out of the chats and refuses to come back. Really? Yeah. No. Have he's you, being stubborn. Have you alienated he sent Felix? Me a, he sent me a note, and he's like, here's a note for old time. Here's a jingle what? for old time's no, sake. come on, really? He's not in the chats? Everybody no, misses I kicked him, him out. Sure. I know. I, I kicked him out because he was making memes of me with a picture of me. Huh. So I, I kick people out on a daily basis. You might as well talk to You're welcome to just come back. If I kick you out, you can come right back. I just like kicking people out. It's fun. It makes me feel tough. So he says, bless up, Darren and Graham. We got from Baron Von Taco Cat. War is super gay. 
So please share that thing that exists in long hand as promised at the 5640 mark. What's that? Jeez, well, I don't know what episode you're talking about. The last episode. The last episode? Oh, the long hand. Oh, the, the symbol from Alice in Wonderland, maybe? Oh, it's on the show note. It's on the art. Yeah. Or it's in the show notes, probably. Is it that? Is it a? It's in the art. Is it a code? Not like a put six it in digit the, code? No, it's the fucking thing from the that we've seen on TV, probably. Okay. Yeah, it's in the. It's in the. Uh, on the TV. It's in the episode art. Yeah, it's a little semicolon thing there. Um, and a broken cross. For America, sure, nice. I don't usually. Oh no, that's spam. Coop says peace, guys. Now uh, we got. My guess is that the Men in Black has already visited your altar, and you will find it empty someday. That was on the Shakespearean mathematics. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Oh, probably, eh? Uh, number, episode 240, Silverstein needs his head pulled off his body. Ouch. The Dakashido, I'm, I'm done taking shots at you guys. Now, now I will take shots in your honor. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Sounds kind of sexual. Uh... What do we got here? Graham, you can watch Dr. Judy Wood. Yes, we're well aware of Dr. Judy Wood. Great intro, guys. Adds to the magic that is Gramerica. Looking forward to hearing your Jacques Vallée interview. Nice. Uh, okay, I'll cut it off there. Well, thanks, everybody, for balancing out the trolls on YouTube. There's still plenty of trolls. I skipped over them this week. Well, I got an email here from uh, sort of the C-SETI group. There's, it's explaining some sightings and some okay. pictures. Oh, come on. No, no. We have no, I just turned it down. Come on. Come on. Enough jingles today already. <laughs> Jesus. Hey, we'll go to this one. No, 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 no. We call it C-SETI. Picture tents and camp. Meditate and look at the sky. Okay, okay. It's just too much now. C-SETI. I can't handle it. It's too much. I want an actual song. I don't want to label so. it like that. It just, it's just a CE5. You labeled it. I know. I didn't mean to. So there's some pictures here. Pictures? Yeah, as well. Some interesting things. So let me, I'll read it. I'll read it to you. There you go. So this is forwarded on from, uh, from Celia in our, in our C-City group. And it's from Deb. She was out here in Calgary. That's when I first saw the flash bubbles was with Deb. And when she came out with her group. So she says, this is a report and photos from C-SETI training in Tucson, Arizona. This is uh, May 29th, May 23rd to 29th, 2017. Very eventful. Now keep in mind, now this is like, this is my disclaimer. When they say ET, right? Yeah. Who knows, right? That's their interpretation of it. <laughs> Think Jesus? Very eventful. Small groups interacted face-to-face -face with shy, timid ETs, i.e. a hunchback, Grinch-like, or Coco Pelli-like figure, six foot tall, no clothes. He tiptoed away shyly <laughs> while maintaining eye contact with two women and one man, and then disappeared after three steps, i.e. went interdimensional. Sounds like a three-way. If you look up Cocapelli on Wikipedia, all I can say is V, one of the women, was definitely the village beauty of our group, and she was one of the first who saw the being. There's another story from the Hopi culture that talks about Cocapelli being a hunchback member of a village who tricks the village beauty into having sex with him. 
On another night, one person experienced a three-hour interaction with something that appeared to be a red light probe, the only aspect that was permitted to be visible, gently coaxing it to come close until dawn. It came about 20 times, about 20 yards away. When he lost interest, the being went back to its origin across the valley. When he met everyone for breakfast, he realized he could hear and did not have his hearing aids on. Overwhelmed by emotion, he openly sobbed in front of everybody when he realized the hearing, the healing he had received. Wow. I haven't read all this, actually. I got a photo of an ET being behind a woman. Probably the ET ambassador assigned to her. She can relate a long narrative of sensing the presence of this ET being and was also overwhelmed when the photo confirmed her perceptions. Another photo was taken of an E.T. coming through a portal behind Stephen Greer. Big redhead Jedi knight-like tunic with a high collar, his hand near the location of a knee. So some of these pictures are down below here. I got at least one good photo per night in terms of lights in the sky. I'm the most I've ever seen that were witnessed by all people. First night, four gold orbs in a straight line for just two seconds, just as the group was setting up circle. The next night, one gold orb seen by most who were there, again, while setting up circle. I myself saw more phenomena than I'd ever seen before. Gold orbs on the horizon, ET gold red craft beaming into the forest below, ruby red light blipping in high in the sky, red, old, red gold orb, one inch across at arm's length, blipping in, into the forest at sunset. Actually, the guys I was with uh, last weekend, I see red red lights in the in the forest a lot. On two nights, we had an equi equilateral triangle of satellite lights traversing the sky. Where have we heard that before? Probably a large triangle craft about 800 miles across. Innumerable lights blipping in immediately around the group in our circle, plus a daylight disc as the sun was setting. One couple arrived as the sun was setting before everyone else and asked me to take a photo of them. I took many shots, not sure how the smart camera was working. On the last night was the daylight disc. I did not see it when I looked. I did not see it when I took the photo. So, yeah, and there's a bunch of uh, photos here, Darren. Uh, what do you think of that barrage of interactions? There's a couple orbs here. There's a little weird uh, diamond-shaped illumination above the altar. There's a there's that guy uh, yeah. with the <laughs> it's like an entity. It really, I mean, it looks pretty weird. How was Greer? What? I want to know how Greer was. Should I? Okay, Jesus. Can you talk about that. Dr. Greer said this was one of the most advanced group of participants he has ever worked with. The groups have been getting better and better in the last three years. After the field work ended at 1 a.m., many people partied until dawn. Lots of partying, talk, wine drinking happened within the group. Most of the people present had a direct sense of the ET ambassador that had been signed to them, thankfully. I was off-site at Cherry Valley B&B and had my own casita. So it sounds like got culty. Why? Because they just stayed up and partied a little bit? So what? I think it's Greer's. Little... I think there's more activity happening. Why so? would our yeah, group I be getting Greer's more activity? Getting some activity. <laughs> no, really, though. Well, it's happening. I think it's think increasing. So? Like, well, we're, I mean, do you think it's just a location why we're seeing stuff? No. I've gone out so many nights before and diddly squat. 
I think the mine's a powerful tool. There you go. You're coming on board, buddy. I think we're <laughs> for two different ball fields. <laughs> two different ships. In your perception, your mind is affecting another reality. In my perception, your guys' minds is only affecting your reality. <laughs> yeah, well, we all, we all see some of the same stuff, but we don't see everything together. I could, I could, uh, you know what? I, I have an email here from Ponce. We could Ooh, read that'll, that'll, that'll get us into the, uh, the support segment of the show. Okay. okay. Greetings, fellow Americans. Darren and Graham, forgive me. I have sinned to uh -oh. spare, <laughs> to spare each other, the anxiety and the beleaguerty. And for brevity's sake, I'll come right to the point. I've been cheating on you with no agenda. <laughs> I don't blame you for introducing us. I am in love with her and decided she deserves my support also. The unfortunate reality is I had to split funds. I promised myself that I would remain a douchebag no longer with no agenda until I reached your seminal... No, that I, he would remain a douchebag with no agenda until I reached the seminal 432 donation mark and then figure a way to donate to them as well. I hope this doesn't put me in poor standing. For real though, I love you guys. Please forgive my shared fidelity. That this being said, I still retain a monthly subscription. You're on that note, out, Ponzi. On that note, <laughs> I would like to address the topic of subscriptions. For those who listen and have had some joy that D and G bring to your heart and haven't subscribed, it's time. Pay up, fuckers. Open up that monthly subscription. I love how he slips in making fun of you and the way you say "open." An open society. Yeah. <laughs> If they make you laugh, if they make you cry, why not go out and type dryamerica.ca slash support? It's not that hard to do. I ended up, do, I ended, ended the douchebaggery after coming, overcoming colossal flaming mountains of PayPal fuckery. So he's got a couple stories here. Lucid dream. We started out in a typical dream sequence where I was with some friends at a small airfield. We are watching a line of small private aircraft take off. I then find myself riding in the back seat of some car with the same friends. We are chatting about, chatting about nothing in particular when I look out to the right window and there's something running in the field adjacent to us. What is that, I wonder? Is that a bear running towards us? No, its feet are all wrong. A seal? No, it's got only two. It's coming near. It's a crow. It looks large and looming. As I see it through the car window, but something wasn't right. The crow had an overly large human-like eye with its golden iris, and it was staring at me. One of, huh? One of Odin's ravens? The crow hits the car window, but it doesn't careen into the window, merely pecks it. Like one could envision a bird pecking at a seed or a shell. Ah, I'm dreaming. I'm somewhere else. It feels like a campground talking to a man in a black suit about my woes and difficulties regarding the patent my wife and I are working on. I was sitting at a table fidgeting with a magnetic sort of tile fidget device where the pieces glide against one another and it can be molded or snapped into different shapes. The man in the suit was telling me that I was going to have to really fight to keep my patent and I would likely have to fight it out in court. My reply to him was, do you know I am dreaming? And that's when it evaporated, and I find myself in a work-related dream. It's 6.27 ITM, and I just got woke. Synchronicity, it's time for another installment of the Canadian Third Party Synchronicity Rating Authority. 
I missed the synchro. What? He didn't. He said it was a lucid dream. He said, here it is. Okay, here it is. Ready? Is it real or a dream? What does that even Thursday, August 24th, 2017. 2.37 p.m. I'm driving to another work location. I'm listening to the show, episode 235 with Dr. Is Scott. Is this in his dream now? Or is this a, this a dream synchro? No, it's just a synchro, I think. So he's listening to episode 235 with Dr. Scott Kobalba. You guys were talking about grass-fed butter from the, from the States. Time code 2802. Darren says, ooh, it's almost honey season again. Ponzi will be sending us honey again. As it turns out, that very moment, very moment, my wife was paying for jars at the grocery store. It's the only reason she went that day following a honey jar shit show she experienced at our farmer's co-op where the only jars they had were honey for blue. Nobody Whoa, honey for blue? I just bought some blueberry honey. Oh, wow. When, today? No. Oh. I think. When, last month? Oh, last two weeks ago. Nobody wants blue honey jars. You can't see the color of the honey. It's in a blue jar. So there you have it. It has all the elements. The show, you and Graham, donations, support. I leave it to you, Darren. Well, I don't have the honey yet, and you downgraded your subscription. <laughs> <laughs> I'll still give you a 7.42. Because we love you. Yeah, and uh, we've been, you know, we're trying to get those no, no agenda guys on here as well. We, you know, they did say they were coming on, but uh, it doesn't hurt to get a little bit of listener uh, push uh, their way. Yeah, when you donate to them, mention us. Yeah. Especially if you donate more than $200, then they'll mention the show, and then we'll get some new listeners, maybe. Yeah. So thanks for the note, Ponzi. And thanks for donating. Oh, so you want to talk about that? If they make you cry, if they blow your mind, why not go online to grimerica.ca slash support. So yeah, thanks, Ponzi. You got to the 432. It's our big marker. Most people never get there. Check out grammarica.ca slash support, guys. Of course, the 432 mark, and Ponzi's open to that now, if he does so choose, uh, is that you can come on the show. You pick somebody. We'll try and get them on. They come on, and you do the interview with us. You yep. get to interview them. Yeah. So Ponzi can do that now, and anyone else who gets to that magical 432 number. Um, there's only a couple people that have ever got there, like two and one of them gave us a computer. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, check that out, guys. Check out America.ca slash support if you can. There's monthlies there anywhere from a buck a month to 30 bucks a month. We call it value for value. If you find the show gives you some value, some entertainment, keeps you, makes you laugh, makes you cry, I'll sign up for a monthly and give us some, send some value back our way. You say a buck a month only works out to like 20, 25 cents a show. Uh, start there if that's all you got. If you can't do that, if you can't even afford a buck a month, um, you can do a one-time donation. Tell some friends. Yeah, and if you can't do that, tell some friends about the show. That's the big one. Spread the show. We can't spread the show. We need you to spread the show. Yeah, email us. Uh, An armory of marketeers instead of musketeers. Yeah, and send us your synchronicities and sightings and all that crazy uh, spiritual awakenings and shit like that. And Darren, did you tell them about the Black Budget support feed then? Or That's right. So that we started giving people extra content, a little pat on the back for the people that support the show and have any, been any supporting the show. Any donation. Keeping the show going for so long. Um, so any donation or any subscription of any kind, I'll, get, I'll email you that URL. You po copy that into your podcast player. Uh, if you don't have a podcast player, we can talk about that. There's some other options through the website. 
Uh, but that'll get you a new couple episodes a month. There's one coming out right away here about yep. uh, crazy conspiracies and shit with yeah, that guy, Michael. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's yeah, pretty good. Together. Uh, so we're doing an extra two shows a month there. So sign up for monthly, guys, if you can. You, we really could use the support. Um, yeah, we don't do any ads. We don't do any bullshit. Uh, it's kind of a vow of poverty, but you guys can make it at least a little more comfortable. Yep. By thanks. signing up for a monthly today. And if you can't afford it, I mean, you can always send in great jingles like these. Yeah, was, they were pretty ripped. <laughs> you missed the first part of it. I did, didn't I? Yeah. There, we'll start it over. So big shout out to Graham's calves. They were pretty ripped. Not uh, count to support. So how does somebody put that together? They fucking di- slice and dice my voice. People slice until... and dice. That's unreal. And the people have found your Mars One application. Oh, no. So who knows what's coming next? No one ever does it to me. Sometimes they'll sneak me in as a little accoutrement, but yeah. I want to hear a Graham rap song. No, that's okay. Yeah. So yeah, all the notes, all the stuff you can do is in the show notes as well. And uh, the chats, chats are there. Perpetual. Oh, okay, that's good. The chats, yeah, check out the chat. America.ca slash chats. Felix is currently kicked out, but he'll be back. They all come back. I just... Stop on by, stop on by. I updated the jingle board finally, so I have all the jingles at, at my at my hands. It's good for me, bad for you. Anything else? That's it, eh? That's good. We'll already be at three and a half hours. Yeah, that's good. Enjoy this chat with Yeah, Grant. guys. Enjoy the chat with Grant Cameron. This should put us at like nine or ten hours of Grant Cameron. Yeah. This Enjoy. is the best one though. The best one. This is the best one yet. Enjoy the chat. favorite past guests and one of my favorite ufologists a world-renowned expert on presidents and ufos the canadian government and ufos we talked last time about the music and download slash alien connection the relationship to consciousness and ufos so i think this is the third time you've been on the show grant welcome back uh, we welcome grant cameron to the to the show tonight well thanks for having me on i appreciate it yeah and we've also got red pill junkie here to, to join us as well thanks for coming red Oh, and it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to having the chance to talk with Grant, you know. I, I agree. He is uh, one of the best UFO researchers out there. You know, ever, ever since I listened to that um, 
interview that he did with Tim Binal, Binal America, I think it was a two-part episode. I was really hooked on with his work on both the presidential uh, UFOs and also with uh, the thing that we're going to talk about, uh, his book, The Charlie Red Star Sightings. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to mention is he's just, uh, you know, he, he had those sightings back in the 70s and we talked about that a little bit on the show and I guess he's had that book you know, you've had it sort of in the background for a while, Grant, and you finally uh, decided to publish it. Yeah, I had it in the background since 1977 when I wrote it, and uh, I didn't decide to publish it. It was a um, it was a TV producer in Toronto who decided to publish it. Oh. If it had been up to me, it never would have seen the day, the light of day. Really? Uh, yeah. Basically, what happened was um, I had the manuscript and I had all the sightings, and I ran around this town of Carmen, Manitoba, which is maybe about 25 miles north of the border, the North Dakota-U.S. border, yeah. and um, gathered all the sightings. I was, because I was just sort of blown away when I first saw this thing fly in front of the car. It, was, it, was, it wasn't a light in the sky. It was an object right in close to the car. And I was sort of hooked, immediately fell off the edge of the earth, ran around, investigated this whole town and all these people seeing it, gathered it all together, and basically nobody would publish the book. And the one publisher in the big city where I live, which where it was a famous story, said, Mr. Cameron, you may believe in this kind of stuff. <laughs> count, me among, count me among the unbelievers. And at that mm. point, I said, okay, that's enough with sightings. It's a total waste of time. And basically what I did is I, I gave the manuscript to my sister. And oh. everybody's got one in their family who's like a, like a hoarder, a family historian type. And, and she held it for, I guess, 30 years, 25 years. And then she gave it back to me and said, remember you gave me this years ago? And I oh looked at God. it. And, I, I, and I, I, I didn't realize <laughs> I'd written the whole, the whole manuscript had basically been completed. Um, I thought I'd done a couple of chapters. And I was just, wow. I, so this is in the days when optical scanning came in. So what I did is I did an optical scan of it and turned it into a digital form. And then I just kept it on my computer and people wanted to read it and I would let them read the manuscript. And so I did that for a number of years. And then what happened, there was a TV producer in Toronto who wanted to do a story on what's called Project Rama. This is this uh, two brothers in Peru, ex almost, oh, yeah. almost, almost exactly the same time as, as uh, my sightings. Their, their sightings started in um, 1974 and they started Project Rama in 75. And that's when all the stuff was going on that I was involved with. And so uh, she wanted to read the manuscript, so I gave it to her. And she came back and said, this is exactly what I've been looking for. I'd like to option this for a movie. And I said, yeah, okay, whatever. And so she said, but it's got to it's be published. And I want to publish it through a publishing house, because usually I just publish myself, publish my stuff. Yeah. And I said, yeah, okay. And so she went and negotiated with Dundurn, who published the book. And um, I looked at the contract, and I was just horrified with the, you know, this contract. It been, the, the, there was a number of clauses that bothered me, but the main one said that they get every book that I write in the future. I have to offer to them before I can offer to anybody else. Wow. And they get to pay me this you know, low rate that they pay authors. And I thought, well, this is crazy. I'm, I'm going for this. I don't mind the pay thing, but I, I'm not going to sign into giving my, future, yeah. all my, all my children away. And so I basically let the contract lapse. And then this girl came back to me and, and the option was still going on. She said, well, what happened? And I said, well, you know, I wasn't happy with the contract. And I, <laughs> I basically let it lapse. And um, so then she sort of talked me back into it again and said, you know, we got to get this published. And so she actually went back a second time and negotiated a second time with the company who basically probably was pretty upset with me that I didn't go with the first option. <laughs> 
And she negotiated it. And then I felt, well, this time I better play nice and not, you know, pull out. And so I let the book go through. And it did have some advantages in that um, if I had published it in the 1970s, it never would have had the nuclear connection because that was something I added later on. And the other thing that changed from the 70s to now is I started to think that a lot of what happened in the 70s wasn't as random as I thought it was, that there was a lot of things that seemed to be kind of weird that, you know, this happened and then this happened and this happened. And so those are the things that ch that changed. And so the book is out and it's it's pretty popular because that's what I've sort of found. I've written, I think, six books or seven books. I'm not sure. But mo most this, this one seems to be the most popular because a lot of people simply just want stories. They, they just want to hear a story. They want to hear about mm -hmm. somebody seeing something. And that's basically what the story is, except for the, the, the nuclear connection discussion at the end. It's basically just this person saw this and this person saw that and this person saw a Sasquatch and this person saw, you know, a, a, something on the ground and aliens and all this kind of stuff. And so people really like that kind of stuff. So so I guess it did work out in the end that it that it's out and it did go through a publishing company, which sort of uh, gives you a little of um, a, a little bit of how the game is actually played in that they made me do a lot of things that I usually don't do with my um my other books, because I'm, I'm not really a promoter. I really don't try to push my books or anything like that. And when you're dealing with a publishing company, it's all about promotion. It's all about, you know, selling the book. And so they sort of forced me to do a lot of things that um, I had never done before, which was which is actually a good thing. Like social media, like Instagram and stuff like that. I know we follow each other there. And oh, I've been, I've been every day. I, yeah. yeah, every day I get a thing. Have you done to set up this, set up that? <laughs> and then they need a list of all the uh, the podcasts that I've been on. I'm thinking, well, my goodness, I've never co copied that down. And when I put it down, there was, you know, like 100 people or 100 podcasts I've been on. I'm thinking, well, you know, I should have done this a long time ago. Because now if I ever have a book, I can just sort of send it to all the podcasts with one email and just let people know it's out. But I didn't, I just sort of let, let things be as they may yeah. in, in past mm -hmm. things. And they're a lot more regimented. They know exactly how the uh, how to promote a book and how to push it. And they actually gave me a U.S. publicist, which was kind of nice. They 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 did the publishing in Canada and then uh, U.S. publishing. So this time I did a lot of interviews with like morning talk shows where, you know, it's like a, a seven-minute interview on a, on a morning talk show for some radio station somewhere in the United States. Which, well, those are kind of first time I've sort of done those interviews. And I actually ran into you know, one or two guys that were actually kind of skeptical, which on, on the podcast, you really don't run into. But when you do these morning talk shows, you get guys that want to argue with you about this or that, which <laughs> sort of makes you, uh, puts, makes you think things over and come up with answers to things that you never thought about before. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, it must be different for you be having to, you know, explain it a little bit more deeper to somebody that doesn't really doesn't really get it. Yeah, positive. although you and in these things you only have seven minutes, which to me seven minutes is like two seconds. I mean, I'm I'm notorious for being able to talk until people fall over. Yeah, but and, you probably and get the most tell your story words in seven, seven minutes, minutes than anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to get your story across in seven minutes. So you're trying to figure out like, you know, what am I going to tell them and what, what all the good stuff I got to leave out. Yeah. What can you give us your seven minute spiel? <laughs> the seven minute <laughs> spiel is basically I went out. Uh, I had no interest in UFOs whatsoever. I had been interested in near-death experiences. I'd done a paper at the in the local hospitals here, gone to all the different hospitals, talked to the chaplains about all the weird things that happen around death, and I had produced this big paper. And I was interested in Edgar Cayce, uh, but in terms of extraterrestrials, I don't think I'd ever thought about UFOs or extraterrestrials or anything like that. The only reason I went to this small town called Carmen, Manitoba, where the, it was sort of the focus. There was towns around it who were affected, but Carmen was the big town where this... They, they sort of named it Charlie Red Star, and it was sort of there all the time. And 
um, I, w- was the fact that I, you know, I went out to see what everybody was looking at. That's all I was interested in. And, and we didn't go for three months. And then one of these things that now looks like it maybe didn't happen accidentally was a local TV station um, got this thing on the ground. They, they actually captured this thing jumping off the ground. Oh. And it became a very it became a viral film. They, they did a, a documentary, which is about eight minutes long, and they, they showed this thing frame by frame as this thing's jumping off the ground. And what happened was the guy, they, the, the TV crew had seen it the night before, and they weren't able to film it. And so they went back to the, the producer at CKY TV, which is where this station was, and they told the, the assistant news producer that they wanted to go out again the next night, and they think they could get this thing, capture this thing. And he said, this is absolute nonsense. Nobody's going out. This is all garbage. And anybody who wants to go out can go out on their own time. So they took this crew of reporters, and they had they didn't have a cameraman, so they used the film editor in the camera room to, to run the film to shoot the camera. And they had this thing on the ground, and they had there was about 10 people, a bunch of pilots and stuff. And they had two cars. One went north of it. One went south of it on, on sort of... A, uh, adjoining roads and the one on the north side came across and this thing was sitting um, in the field and it was 50 feet high blood red um, sitting on a 45 degree angle like a like a uh, drive-in movie screen and uh, they were they just couldn't believe it they were and it wasn't touching the ground it was hovering above the ground and in, in a, behind a, a row of trees like a windrow of trees that had been grown by the farmer and so they were taking their bearings as to where they were because in the middle of nowhere and um, then the guy at the other end of the road with the cameras, eight and a quarter miles away, because the next day they went in and got the radiation readings on the ground where this thing had been sitting. So they knew exactly where it was. And um, he said he could see this thing. It would glow up and it would glow back down, glow up. And he said, next thing, the time this thing glows up, I'm going to shoot because we got to get something on camera. <laughs> and so as he pushes the trigger, it was almost like the UFO said, are you ready to shoot? And as he pushes the trigger, this thing jumps in the air, and it was three frames of film. So in the, in the first frame, it's sitting on the bottom. Uh, second frame is what I call a flash frame. They, I heard now some people are saying, um, you know, like a, a lens flare, but I don't think it's a lens flare. You could see the entire horizon and these two big humps of light on either side of this object. And in the third frame, and you got to remember it's eight and a quarter miles away, in the third frame, this thing's at the top of the frame. So one of the estimates was that in three frames of film, it had gone 5,000 feet in the air. And um, then it sort of flew across the sky. And when they slowed it down, as I show in the book, it, it flies in a wave formation. It's not flying in a straight line. It's moving up and down on a wave. Mm. And then it's going on a smaller wave on the big wave. And then it's, it's, it seems to be rotating because it's sort of uh, flashing as it goes through this wave motion. So it became viral. Jalen Heineck came and got two copies. NBC picked it up. They had to get, finally pay this uh, guy who shot the film, gave him 100 bucks, told him to keep his mouth shut about the fact nobody had been paid. And when that film happened, even then I still didn't go out. It wasn't until two weeks later that I said to my friends, we used to drive around the city and do nothing. And I said, well, why don't, instead of driving around the city, let's go see what they're looking at. Went out there. We drove into town, out of the town. We were for an hour looking at all this different stuff in the sky. What's everybody looking at? Whatever it is, isn't very amazing, whatever. My friend said, we'll drive into town one more time. We don't see anything. Let's go home. I said, fantastic. This has been a total waste of time. We turned to go back into town for the last time, and the thing came from the left to the right. And I always say my first lesson in reality and in, in UFOs is if you have not seen anything, you can either believe or disbelieve. If you see it, you know. And nobody in the car said, is that what they're looking at? I wonder if that's what they're looking at. Is that what they're And everybody just went, there it is. Everybody just instantly knew this was what it was because it was just so bizarre and so close and so low to the ground and moving so slow. Um, and I was just, uh, I mean, I just sort of fell off the edge of the earth and I grabbed all my friends, dragged them out two nights later 
And they all took after an hour. After an hour, they all took off saying, you know, Cameron, ah, it's a waste of time. We're going back home. I still remember the last words were, we're going back to Winnipeg for pizza. And I was like, off they went, you know. And there was 28 people on this back road. There was people all over the place trying to see this thing. The road we were on had 28 people. There was only eight left when it finally came. And I remember as this thing started as, as a flashing light, it was jumping around in the sky flashing. And there was some kids that I'd taken, young kids that were sitting in the field. And they said, is that what it is? And so I'm looking, I'm going, well, I guess so. It didn't look like what I'd seen the first night. And it was jumping around. I remember the guy, and there was a, the car beside us, there was a guy um, that had a motor drive uh, when they first came out on cameras to advance the 35 millimeter film automatically. And I can still remember this click, zzz, click, zzz, click as he's unloading the camera as this thing is coming towards us and there was a girl in their car who could not see it because it was moving around jumping around the sky she couldn't see it she was crying people were yelling swearing it was like when i was at the eclipse last month it was that kind of thing where people are cheering and it's just like just like a football game and uh, as it got closer then it turned into this object i'd seen the first night as it, and it came was coming right at us the second night down low very very slow maybe a half mile away. It's hard to tell at night how far it is away, but uh, fairly close and then made this turn and uh, made its turn around to go around the north north side of town. And uh, then I, I, I said, well, why is nobody investigating this? Like, I mean, this is like the, the biggest story I've ever seen come down the pike. So I basically, I was at university. I basically said, okay, now I know what I'm going to do. Forget this university nonsense. And I still <laughs> took courses, but I wasn't interested. I couldn't figure out in university what the heck are you going to do with all this garbage I was learning, like 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 uh, calculus and stuff? I'm thinking, like, how the heck do you make money out of this nonsense? This is like stupid stuff. And so then, I uh, to me, it was like this is this is. Yeah, I was hooked, and and I basically went around to all these different people, and I I documented the story, and I put it out, and then it, it, nobody would publish it. And as as the rest of the story goes, it sat there, and it forced me to go. Um, because all I was interested in after this, after my sightings in 1975, 1976, and I really haven't seen anything lately until some bizarre thing I saw last month, but really haven't seen anything since. But it forced me to, um, all I was interested in was what had I seen? Uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm just a, you know, a guy on the prairies, no expertise at anything. And I'm thinking somebody's got to know, somebody has got to know what this is. And that's when I went to the Canadian government and the former president of Penn State University and up to the president. And it was like, when I got to the president, I'm thinking, well, he's the most powerful guy in the world. And this is the most important subject. Surely he knows what's going on. And that's why I went through that whole route. And I, now I chase around the, the, the head scientist for the CIA and a former CIA briefer and all these different people. And it does appear to me that there are people who have these answers, although they're not being very open about what they've got. But it, it led me to this this sort of chase. And I I think I know I've got an answer for 1975. I'm content with what I've seen in terms of its reality and and some of the answers to what actually might be going on. Well, you got 30 seconds left. You did it. Yeah. <laughs> 30 seconds there to you spare. <laughs> He's practiced. That's good. <laughs> So that so now the movie, um, the movie, or is that what she was doing? A movie with Rama and 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 Charlie Redstar together, or something like well, that. So that's yeah, well, is that well, going to happen? They, she was, well, she was trying to get this thing uh, uh, financed in Canada, and nobody would finance the movie because mm. it was a Peruvian movie. And they said, "Well, we don't care. I mean, who cares about Peru?" And that's why she got my thing oh. was it had a Canadian angle to it. So the way the movie was going to go was going to start with my my sighting. Uh, and I was going to be a reporter, so they're going to start this thing. And the movie was actually it was all written, and they they've got the trailer. She was going to send it to me last week, and and I haven't haven't seen it yet. But they had a trailer ready for this thing, 
And uh, so the reporter would do the Carmen thing and all the sightings there. And all of a sudden he would discover Rama in Peru. And it's just a, the most bizarre thing. I phoned her back because she got, she got very sick and she actually blamed it on this movie. Because if you know the Rama story, it gets very ugly. These, these two brothers are fighting and there's yeah. all this division and stuff like that. And so she thought this this was just just a, even though it was a very interesting story that it was such a such a dark story that she actually got cancer from this. So she sort of dropped the thing and she put it on the shelf. And then what happens is how it's so bizarre how this happens. Um, this happens last month. I'm going to um, Mount Shasta. I don't know if you've ever heard these stories about Mount yeah, Shasta. Yeah, well, I so, wanted to ask you about that for sure. I can't yeah, wait to talk yeah. about that. Yeah. So so basically, what happens is, and th this shows you how. You know, is this chance or, you know, because what happens is um, I've got a girl out of L.A. who helps me edit stuff and she loads the books for me and stuff like that and does a lot of stuff. And everything I, time I've asked her to do something, she's done it. And she's from originally from Colombia. And all these people who show up at Mount Shasta are from Latin America, Central America. It's all basically Spanish people. And there's like five people who can't speak Spanish. And I was one of them there. And so I really had no interest. It was like a, a meditation for world peace. And I think, well, you know, okay, uh, Katarina's helped me. So I said, yeah, I'm not really interested in Katarina, but I'll come. I'll come support you. I'll come to Mount Shasta and we'll do this meditation for world peace and all this kind of stuff. And it's kind of a neat trip. So down we go. And I'm, I'm traveling down to the United States and I get my second message from an alien. This is the only second time I had a, a message from an alien. The first time it turned into a book. So I figured like, you got to pay attention to this. I'm driving across the Nevada desert, heading, we're going to stop in Reno for the night. I've got a girl with me from Winnipeg. She's traveling down with me, and she's more interested in the meditation thing than I was, but she was with me, and her cell phone rings. And so on the phone is my friend Katerina, and Katerina says, I've got a message from Paula Harris to give to Grant Cameron, and it comes from Ricardo Gonzalez. Now, he's the guy who's running the event that we were at. He's a contactee from Peru, now lives in Argentina, and has had sightings since he was seven years old, and has this uh, claim that he's uh, had interactions with an alien by the name of Antarel. And Antarel, strangely enough, happens to be from the same planet as the Rama people. It's the planet <laughs> Ap Apu. So this message comes in, and it says, this is a message from Ricardo, from Antarel to Ricardo to Paula Harris, and she's to give it to Grant Cameron. The message is Antarell knows Grant Cameron's coming to the mountain and there will be a planned, uh, I never remember what the word is, a planned encounter, a planned event Saturday night. There's, there's a specific term they use. So, but I knew uh, from C past five? history. <laughs> so it was, well, it's sort of like a C, but it, there's a little more dramatic than CE5s. And, and this leads to my, I mean, I'm always trying to get out of the UFO field. I just, I mean, uh, it's, it's so dark and so negative. I'm always trying to get out and now I'm dragged back in. It looks like I'm going to do a book on this, but uh, well, what these are, these events, and the first one had, well, 2012, there was a, this uh, Ricardo was there, and he had a direct encounter with his Antarell, a face-to-face -face encounter with his Antarell. 2013, Mike, uh, they invite Salah there, and there's this flyby thing. Same thing as me. Salah gets the message beforehand that they know he's coming to the mountain, and they do this flyby. And I actually interviewed Salah last week and said, you know, this happened to me. Okay, tell me what happened to you. And he told me the whole story of what happened to him. And then 2014 was the big one. This is my friend Paula Harris, who runs the big uh, conference in Laughlin, Nevada, every year mm -hmm. in November. So I've known Paula for years. And uh, in 2014, I was at her conference. And I hear that she has this encounter with this Antarell in the, in the forest. 
and that she actually sees this thing. And I'm going, you, you saw an alien? Are you kidding me? And she said, yeah. And she was describing this whole incident about, about what was happening and she was freaking out. And these, they're into this, what's called, what they call it a Zendra. The CIA oh, seems, yeah. to be want, seems to be wanting to call it a portal, but they call it a Zendra. And it yeah. sort of forms this bubble and there's this sort of mist coming off the ground and uh, she gets picked and there's, uh, and again, she gets the message beforehand that they know she's coming to the mountain and there's going to be this planned encounter on Saturday night. And so she's holding hands with these two women and she's telling me the story. I come there and they say, do not let go of the hands until you cross the Zendra, cross this sort of a, this fog coming off the ground. So they go through and she's telling me the story. It was the scariest moment of my life when I had to actually let go of these women's hand. And suddenly she says, there's this like nine foot tall being standing at the tree and there's a being beside this being, and she's describing this whole thing. And I'm going, you actually saw this? And I was just like, I couldn't believe this. And I said, you got to talk about this. You got to. And she said, oh, I don't want to be the center of attention. I said, but you're a major person. I mean, you got to tell the story of what you saw. So she goes public and she tells the story. 2015, it happens again, but she never, I don't think she's ever really publicized the 2015 thing. And that one had nine witnesses. And um, there was that one, they had the three beings and they were more like holograms. You could actually see through the beings. You could see the trees behind them. And it's in the same, the same area on Mount Shasta where they're, they're taken out of this. They have a big group, say maybe 130 people meditating and stuff. And then they'll pull five or six people to go into the Zendra. So she gets picked for a second year and there's these little beings peeking out from behind the trees. And, and, and I'm just floored with this whole story. And actually when I was at Mount Shasta last month and I got this all on film, I interviewed, uh, I have met six of the witnesses and I filmed a, a good portion of film with four of the witnesses. And basically they're all telling the same story. This nine foot high being, he puts his hand out to, to say, stop, don't come any closer. But he's got this sort of a thing on his chest and there's these sparks coming off and every witness is describing the same thing. So of course I'm kind of excited once I get this message that Antarell knows I'm coming to the forest. And I knew I'd had this experience before where I got a message from an alien that turned into the music, music book which still hasn't been published, but um, uh, so I, I figure, okay, I, I'm, uh, maybe I'm going to get to actually meet an alien here. This is kind of exciting. And even though I would rather have had some of the girls that, that sort of dragged me into this thing to go through the, the thing, I figured, well, you know, there may be some prearranged deal. I've got to do this. So I start the, I do the fasting, I do all that kind of stuff and I play the game and, and I go through this whole thing. And then what happens is that um, there's two people they get a message. Uh, Ricardo gets it, and this um, there's a PhD psychologist that I met there and talked to for a while during the day when this event happened, and she got a message. Um, and and she's from I think Venezuela, and she was there, and they both got the message. 9:33, this event would occur, and so we're sitting there, and it's like freezing cold, and I got a sleeping bag, and I'm going, oh, this is horrible. This is like I'm, I come from the major. The, the, Coldest major, coldest major city in the world. And I'm going, this is cold and real because you're not moving. You're just sitting there and people are meditating and they're doing whatever and trying to bring this thing in or whatever. So we're sitting there. All of a sudden there's this flash. Somebody's got a, um, well, there's a couple objects before that. It was three objects before that, but you know, people were flashing at it and looking, but, and one was kind of an orb type object that was pretty bright and pretty clear, but nobody really paid attention. Suddenly there's this flash uh, and people are shooting this laser up above me and I look up and, and this thing is strange thing. It was like, it was right above my head. Like I, I had to look back so far that I thought it was going to flip the chair over. And I looked up and I, the first thing that came into my mind is 
this is not going to be good because this thing actually looked like it was right above me. And I'm thinking, it can't be above me. It's got to be above the group. There's 130 people. It can't be. It's got to, it's got to be above the group. And yet I'm thinking, no, it looks like it's right above me. And, and, and what it was was like, uh, I describe it like more than a flash. It was more like when you watch fireworks, when you see the thing go up in the sky, you don't see anything. All of a sudden it, it explodes in the sky. It was like that. It was like this sort of explosion of, of a flash. And I saw the, thing is when it's happening you don't really realize this is the event and so um when, when it was happening i looked up and i saw they were beaming above me and i looked up and then there was this flash and then i'm looking so very closely i'm looking i'm looking where's the object where's the object and i'm looking where the flash had come from i could see no object and then there was a second flash and it was exactly in the same spot it wasn't it wasn't moving it was in the same spot and um so then I put my head down because I, I was, you know, afraid I was going to flip the chair over. And I looked down and then there was this giant chair. I guess there was this giant flash, which was kind of blue. And uh, people were really excited. And then I looked up again. So I saw about four of these eight flashes and they took place over. I thought it was 15 seconds, but most people thought it was 30 seconds to a minute that this that this thing took place. And every time it was right above my head, it was in the same spot all the time. And I'm thinking like, uh, this is uh, this is um, kind of weird but it wasn't what I it wasn't what I was hoping for. That's for sure. And then I'm thinking, oh no, this is you know when I go public with this, this is going to be like this is really going to cause because everybody's going to say satellite. They're going to say you know these special satellites that flash and stuff. And so I've spent I really haven't written it up, but I've spent a lot of time doing the satellite thing. And this was an hour and 31 minutes after sunset. And uh, I'm pretty determined that all the satellites were in the were in the shadow of the Earth at that time. And I looked up these um, these special satellites that flash. I come the iridi iridium, iridium, iridium. Yeah, and iridium. you actually, there's actually a chart. So I actually got the chart for that date, and there was no iridium flash at that point because it's like a very predictable thing. They can tell you exactly yeah. what part of the sky the flash is yeah. going to take place. So that's basically um, what happened. The most amazing thing was during the day when I got these. Um, these people for the second, the 2015 thing. And um, I'm interviewing these people and I, my mouth was just hanging open because they were absolutely saying the same thing. And most of them couldn't really speak English that well. And they were uh, very much in the one guy said, well, you know, is this the first time you've seen it? He said, no, I've seen it before. I've seen him before. And I said, well, how many times have you seen this guy? And he said, no, no, about five times, maybe, maybe more. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he follows this, this guy does these things all over the world. So he sort of follows this guy around. So he's seen a few of these. And that really amazed me. And then when I'm coming down the mountain after filming these people during the day, this is the, the day of this event at night. I'm coming down the, 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 the hill. And this is where I got the idea. Oh, I got to do a book on this. Because I'm coming down the hill and I had spoken for a second in front of this group or whatever about the fact I was there and all this sort of stuff. And there's this woman stops me and she says, oh, thanks for what you said. And I had a weird experience. I got the camera with me. I said, you got a weird experience? And she said, yeah. I said, can I film it? She said, you'd film it? I said, yes, you're standing there. You, you tell me your story. And she says, I'm from Mexico. And in 2016, this is the one year that's missing, where nothing happened. She says, 2016, I, I suddenly get these coordinates in my head. And, and I'm trying to figure out what these coordinates are. And I put them down. And I look them up, and it's Mount Shasta. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on at Mount Shasta. And she finally figures out that there's an event, this meditation event. So she goes to the event. And, you know, they always, everybody always reports, you know, they see stuff in the sky, but there was really nothing major. And she goes, there's this crystal shop that the girl I was with is into crystals. So we were in this crystal shop all the time, which is at Shasta City down at the bottom of the mountain. 
and this giant crystal shop they have there. And she tells me the story. She's in there, and there's this this female alien, six foot tall, that's with this Antarel. She's the sort of the commander of the ship. And this woman's telling me, straight faced from Mexico, she was in this this shop, and nobody noticed her. She's walking around to this shop, and she's trying to get her friend's attention. And going, I'm going. Man, I got to record all these stories because there's 2012, 2013 with Salah, 2014 with Paula and six witnesses, six or seven witnesses, 2015 with nine witnesses, 2016 this Mexican. And then I find out in 2017, I have the event, and this, this is a strange tie into this Rama thing. Uh, it's the same planet where this alien is supposed to be from. And then I suddenly find out there's this meditation group across the road. And people are saying, oh, the guy shouldn't be here. It's an English group. And this guy, is, he's got an ego and all this sort of stuff. Oh and I'm well, who's this guy? Who's this guy? Don't tell and me. he's across the road. We can actually see. And it's this uh, Enrique uh, Venezuela or whatever his name, last name is. I can't remember how to pronounce it. But so I said, okay, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm game. So I contact the guy after the event. And I said, oh, we were across the road. Uh, did you guys see anything on your side of the road? And he sends me his 31-minute tape of what happened on the other side of the road. And it was just like, it was way better than what we had. I mean, they had this lights in the bush and they had uh, uh, they had the, the flash on on camera and they had the orb. I'm pretty sure it was the same orb that we saw. And it went right over them. And the guys got, got it on camera and they're filming this thing as it goes over their head. And I'm thinking, wow. And then I've talked to Michael Sella. I'm doing 2013 with Michael Sella. And he said, oh, we were with, uh, with um, um, Good had his group up there and there's 200 people on the south side of the mountain and he tells me this bizarre story that happened the same day on saturday morning saturday night was the event at, at shasta when this flashing thing took place and he's telling me this bizarre story him and this guy in the bush on saturday morning with this curtain of light where they walked through this curtain of light and you could actually see the sort of particles and it was just he described this very bizarre thing i'm thinking like wow, whatever the, all this stuff means, this is just bizarre to string all these stories together. And now I've since found out there's two more Rama groups who are on the mountain. So I have to track these other two Rama groups. So it's kind of weird how full circle comes where because because of the Rama group, my book got published. And now suddenly I'm dragged into the Rama group, which I had no interest whatsoever. I'd never, she sent me the script. I never read the script. I could care less about Rama and all this sort of stuff. And I, I, it's not I got anything against experiencers because when I first did the the um, left the Charlie Red Star thing, I went and did the Canadian government. And most people may not know that the guy who ran the Canadian government program from 50 to 54 was a contactee. He was a straight out contactee. He uh, was in contact with an alien by the name of AFA. And uh, they were going to land this thing at a, at, a, at a base in Canada. Paul Hellyer's actually talked about this in 67 when he was defense minister, the fact that uh, he was opening a UFO landing base. It's sort of a tourist attraction thing. He said, you know, this isn't the first time we've done this. We actually opened Suffield in 1954. Suffield, I knew it. I was just talking to these guys about that. Yeah, that's where yeah. I, I remember hearing it from. Yeah. That's just, so, just close to, it's not too far from Calgary, really. Three or yeah, four hours? Yeah. yeah. And it was a top, top secret army base where they did nerve gas testing during World War yeah. II and stuff like this. And it has a flyover because I talked to my father. My father was a pilot for the Department of Transport. And he said, oh, yeah, it's, it's like Area 51. It's got a no-fly zone. You can't fly over it and all this kind of stuff. And so when I heard Paul Hellier, there was a, a researcher and I, and this guy maybe not even alive anymore, in his 70s from Ottawa, and I were chasing around Hellier in the 1970s. This is long before he ever got involved. And we were trying to get out of him. Like, where did you get this story from? Where did you get this 1954 story? Because we knew the story about about this, this Wilbur Smith was going to land AFA at this um, at this base. And that, that was my impression. So what happened is I went, and Wilbur Smith had died by then. So this is the 1970s, uh, maybe 77, 78. I decided I'm going to go and interview Wilbur Smith's wife is still alive. So I go and interview her, and I give her the front page story from all. It was all across Canada on every front page of every newspaper about the fact that the Canadians were going to land a UFO at a base. And I showed her this headline and Paul Haley making this speech. And I said, Merle, I said, can you tell me, 
did Wilbur have anything to do with this? And she reads the story and she said, yeah, that was Wilbur. And I said, well, tell me what happened. She said, well, Wilbur believed he was in contact with this name, this alien by the name of Alpha, and he was trying to convince the Canadian government that if they would quit trying to shoot these things down, he would land one and they could interact with the being or whatever. And the Canadian government had gone along with this. And there were three different groups. There was the Department of Defense. There was the Canadian uh, Parliament, like the, not Parliament, the uh, cabinet, the Prime Minister's cabinet. And there was the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, which is the big federal police force. And so they all agreed that, yes, they would allow this thing to land at, at Suffield without trying to shoot it down. And then Wilbur Smith wanted an, ag an agreement that they would they would allow it to take off after the meeting was had taken place. And the Royal Canadian Mounted Police agreed, the uh, uh, Department of Defense agreed. But according to Wilbur Smith's wife, the prime minister, could, they went to cabinet and they couldn't give 100% agreement that they would they would allow it to take off again. And so Wilbur said, OK, that's it. We're not going to land it. And he's the one that called it off. So and so when they put out the Canadians put out the story, they said nothing ever landed. Therefore, UFOs don't exist. But when I went to Hellier and I remember Hellier got very upset with me, he said that he had been told the story by a Royal Canadian Mounted Police guy who became the expert in the Department of Defense on UFOs. And that's where he got the story from. So I'm saying to him and this other researcher in the 70s are saying, well, what's the guy's name? I mean, who is this guy? We want to track this thing down. And he said, I can't remember the guy's name. And then I, I guess I put on my website, I go like, I mean, who can believe that? Come on, you can't. He's a top expert on UFOs in the Department of Defense. And he can't remember the guy's name. Come on, give me a break. And, I, and then I met Hallier. It's funny. I met him at that X conference. And he says to me, he's a big, tall guy. I don't know if you've ever seen him. And he's real sort of a real low voice. Mr. Cameron. I'd like to have breakfast with you tomorrow. And I said, oh, cool. You know, because my father used to fly him around. My father worked for the same department, Department of Transport, that Hellier had been Minister of Department of Transport. He had been the Deputy Prime Minister, which is basically like the Vice President of Canada. And he had been the, the, the Minister of Defense. So when he was in transport, this is when all this stuff was happening. And so uh, he sa I said, oh, fine. You know, I'm, I go for breakfast. And he comes down. He's got these all these UFO files under his arm. And his first words to me, Mr. Cameron, I may be many things, but one of them is the liar. And I go, holy shit, what did I say? You know, and I'm suddenly think it must be that comment about, you know, who can believe that he forgot the guy's name. And so we sit down and we go through this whole thing and he starts putting these files out in these Canadian government files. And I said, well, this stuff's all been released. I've seen all these files. This is the same thing as the blue book thing. It's like, you know, it's the garbage files, you know, letters to the prime minister, letters to the Department of Defense. Who cares? It's, I mean, it's garbage. It's like citing reports and stuff like that. Where's the, the secret, the top secret files and the, you know, the, the real classified stuff where you actually have departments talking about it and what the plan is and stuff like that. And so I had this sort of discussion and sort of made up, you know, about this whole thing. And he said, I, I don't even remember giving this speech. And this, this is kind of true. He said, like, you know, these speeches are written for you. I don't remember giving this speech. Uh, I don't remember much of anything. When the UFO stuff was coming across his desk, this was in 66, 67, he said he was basically with the um, putting the military, all our military combined here. So it's a uh, combined military. He's spending all his time doing that. And he said any UFO stuff that came across his desk, he didn't even pay attention. He had no interest whatsoever. It wasn't until he read the Corso book that he got interested. And that was because he had the Corso book and he has a, he owns a bunch of ca cabins outside of Toronto and he was there and during the summer he reads. So he's reading and his son, son-in-law comes and says, what are you doing that garbage for? That's, that's nonsense, whatever. And uh, then later on his son comes back and I guess his son had done some sort of contract work and had been in contact with his two-star general and asked the, the two-star general about this. And that's when he said, oh, yes, for real, get your, get your father-in-law to phone me. And that's when Hellier phones his two-star general, and the general says to him, it's all real and more. And that's when Hellier sort of goes off the deep end and starts mm -hmm. uh, 
talking about UFOs. But basically, after that, he just basically repeats everything that everybody else is saying. He really doesn't have any yeah. firsthand knowledge except for this story that two years ago that sort of gets to the crux of what's going on where he tells this story uh, in Brantford, Ontario. And I'm sitting right beside him, and, and he, he's asked, and the same thing happens to me is, People always ask me because I do the, the U.S. president. They say, well, who's running things in Canada? Does the government know? And I always say, absolutely nothing. I know nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that's why I say in the United States that the government is not covering up because if they were to cover up, they would just shut up and quit talking about it. That's what Canada, Australia, Brazil, every country in the world has done. You just don't talk about it. And the story goes away. There is no story if you don't talk about it. In the United States, like everybody's talking, CIA's leaking stuff, your documents leaking. There's all this stuff. It's basically a phenomenon that happens in the United States. So when Paul Hellyer was asked, he said they asked him, it was like um, a citizen's hearing thing, except that they had a bunch of reporters asking questions instead of these senator, ex-senators and congressmen. And they were asking questions. They asked him, well, who's who in the government would know the Canadian government? And he's and he's sort of guessing. He's going, well, probably the head of the Privy Council, and he's he's naming a couple of different things. But you know, you could tell he really didn't know for sure. It was the old story. It's like if you shut up, nobody's going to know what's going on. And then he he suddenly they come around for a second set of questions, and then he suddenly adds on. He says, there is one guy who who definitely did know, and he mentions this. Um, uh, he the guy he mentions is a guy who's dying of ALS of Lou Gehrig's disease, and he gets a phone call from an Air Force guy. And the guy says, this guy is dying of ALS and he's got to get something off his chest. And he's decided you are the guy he wants to talk to. And the guy's position was the head of emergency management in Canada. And that is basically, in the United States, the head of FEMA. And so uh, Hellier doesn't phone him at first. Then the Air Force guy phones him back. He says, he's about to go off the cliff. You better, go, you better talk to him. So Hellier talks to this guy on the phone. And the guy basically confirms to him, yes, this thing's for real. I was brought to CIA. I had to sign my life away. I was given the briefing. This thing's for real. It's all for real. I was actually allowed to go to Area 51, and I was actually allowed to go inside a craft. So he tells Paul Hellyer this story. And that, when, when, when he said that, it just all the bells went off in my head. Because um, if you look in the United States, um, if you, I don't know if you how far you follow Stephen Greer's witness. He had one who was, you know, had some questionable stuff he said. But uh, this was this uh, Lovkin. He, he claimed to be a, a general in the um, uh, sort of civilian general type thing. And um, he told me the story. I interviewed him years ago. And he was telling the story because I was am interested in the president. So he was telling the story that um, he had been with Eisenhower and Eisenhower was doodling UFOs and that he had talked about it at Mount Weather. Well, Mount Weather is the head of FEMA. This is the place where they take the president. If there's a nuclear attack, this is the place that has all the communications. This is the place that you would run the UFO operation because if anything ever breaks out, like a nuclear war or whatever, this is has these secure communications to all the military, all the embassies, and they have communications to everything. And this is where the president will go. And I just learned that when they give a State of the Union address, because everybody's in the in the same building, they actually take one of the executive in the White House and they take him to Mount Weather during a State of the Union address, just in case someone blows up the the, the Capitol and kills everybody, and then you still have somebody in the, in the government that's hiding at Mount Weather. So this is like a key place. And Lovkin had said that that was where they ran the UFO operation, and he's the only guy that's ever said that. So when suddenly. Um, uh, Hellier's talking about this. I'm thinking, FEMA, that's what I heard. And and if you remember the Kecksburg story, um, the, in the Kecksburg story, there was a phone call from Mount Weather during the Kecksburg, uh, their blue book files for the Kecksburg crash. And they were, they were on the phone. They were watching this crash as it took place. And they gave information about a piece of metal that had come down in Michigan or some someplace, some 
down metal and and it came from they called it um code bluegrass or green grass green grass or blue no green grass which is the code name for mount weather and then the the other thing that happened that rang in my head that i always knew is if you remember if you know the story i don't know if you know the story john john alexander came out and stated um that somebody had whispered in his ear that mj12 was was real and john asked the guy he said are the names on the document correct mm-hmm. and the guy said Yes, they are, and that should tell you what's going on. Hmm. So John Alexander's interpretation is, this isn't UFOs. That's what he said. I tried to ask him at one of the UFO congresses, who whispered in your ear? Who told you that? Because I'm, I'm big into MJ-12. And he said, um, he, he walked around the question, and then Alejandro Rojas says to him, uh, John, I don't think you really answered Grant's question. And then he walked around <laughs> the question again. Good for Alejandro. And, and, the, and, and the important thing was that John says, this is not ET, this is continuity of government. Well, continuity of government is Mount Weather. It's the same thing. And so when I wrote up in, I wrote the book, Managing Magic, how I think the government is leaking this story, uh, John apparently got a copy of it. And he said, everything I said in the book about him is totally, totally wrong. But that was one of the things I said about him is, as I immediately went to his book, because I said, oh, Mount Weather. And I went, and sure enough, John had talked to one of the officials at Mount Weather about UFOs. And I'm thinking, that's got to be the guy that told John Alexander that MJ-12 was real and the documents were real and, and talked about this continuity of government. So it all fit in that you sort of see this this sort of deal that if there is a crash, if there's uh, if there's a leak that they can't control, that a head of emergency management is the guy that you're going to need because you're going to have to throw money in the banks. There's going to be all sorts of stuff happening that's that's out of our control. And the thing is, what do you do if this story does break? How do you how do you handle the panic? How do you handle that? They, for sure, they would have a a massive program as to what to do if, if the story leaks and they can't control it. Yeah, yeah, to that point. Yeah, wow. So I just I want to cycle back a little bit to your experience because, uh, you know, it's it's just so, you know, you, you mentioned it quick and it's so profound because um, it reminds me of what we're doing out here a little bit in Calgary too. And there's, I mean, there's groups all over the world that are doing either ET, either ET Let's Talk or like CE5s from, yep. you know, CSETI yep. type stuff. But then it sounds like these people are doing something very similar too. And I mean, Mount Shasta yep. is such a popular place for that. But one of the things yep. we see when we're out there now, the last couple of times, I mean, I've seen these three times now are flash bulbs. And, you know, and they're not, you know, they're not satellites going around, but they're flash bulbs. Yep. We've seen like up to 50, 60 in one night, uh, Sometimes in, you know, in streaks, like sometimes you see three or seven of one and then another one and they're all different sizes. And so I was wondering, what was the size of yours? And and also, like, would you consider, you know, going out and trying to make conscious contact a little bit more often or doing that on a more regular basis? Um, Well, as to the flashes, they were like, as I mentioned, in the second sighting I had in 75, that's how it started. It started with this flashing thing and like a, but then it looked like a, like a light, uh, a flash cube. If you remember back in the old days, a flash cube. That's kind of what we call it, a flash bulb. Yeah. 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 And, and so, um, but in 75, it was jumping around. I remember there was, there was a a family just north of Carmen that was um, uh, sort of the focus of this thing. And nobody would talk to them. They were sort of totally ostracized because nobody wanted to be like these people. I mean, they, nobody, because they were just, they claimed 32 horses had disappeared and they were stealing hydro off the lines. And they had really, really bizarre experiences, the thing landing in the backyard and all this sort of stuff. And I remember interviewing their kids one time when the parents weren't home and the kids were like five and seven or seven and nine, very young kids. And I said, what did you guys see? And they started telling us about some sightings. And then they said, you know what we saw? We, you know, we watch at night, we, we look out the window and we see the bouncing ping pong ball. And I'm going, ah, that's what it is. It's like, the, it's exactly what it looks like a bouncing ping pong ball. This thing bouncing around the sky. 
And um, so uh, what I would say is, and then I learned this because I, I know that, because uh, I sort of have, you know, people know who I am. I know there's a lot of people that have already attacked. I even got a, uh, people were saying satellite even before we went there. It was like three days before. They already had the satellite thing. We want to know exactly where it is in the sky and, and what time and stuff like that uh, to look for satellites. So the people had already determined that, that we were going to see a satellite. And so what I'd say to people who are in that thing is to check these Uridium because you can actually go, I can't remember what the website is, but there's a, a website uh, heavens, heaven above or something. And they actually have all the iridium. You can actually take the dates. And if I'd known that beforehand, I would have got the, the iridium readout. So you can actually yeah, put your yeah. location. Yeah, put you, Calgary. There's, a, there's a couple apps that do it. I was using an app last weekend and we, we got out to try and see the iridium flare at nine o'clock. We stopped down the middle yeah. of this dark road and yeah. we were all looking up. There was nine of us and we saw a couple like pretty bright shooting stars instead, but we didn't see the iridium. And then when we continued on to our site, I mean, we saw flash bulbs, and and you, you you can tell they're not satellites. You see satellites up there as well, but I mean, we're seeing all kinds of things now. It's really interesting. Yeah, and what what I also noticed, and I didn't realize this until um, after all these attacks took place, that um, satellites are only visible for like the first hour after the sunset. After that, they're in the dark, and this was an hour hour and a half that. Um, the definitely there are no you cannot watch the satellite because satellite are reflecting are reflecting uh, light so it has to be in the west so it, if it's in the west it's still going to be sort of above the horizon oh, and, yeah, and it's yeah, picking yeah. up light and stuff like yeah. that but if it's above your head this was directly above my head and and so then what it came down to is like most of the people who are attacking it, it's like when I had the first sighting in seventy five it's that's where I always make this point. If you are there, you know. This is the only evidence exactly. we have. It's yeah. the stuff you see. Yeah. The people who aren't there, the people who don't know, are the believers. They say, well, we know and you believe. No, it's the other way around. Exactly. You're the believer. You have not seen anything. So you, based upon some scientific Sunday school story you heard <laughs> or some religious Sunday school story you heard, you've got some idea of how the world works, that you can't have extraterrestrials here and stuff. You've already made up your mind, and, and you're just looking for sort of an out. But you don't have the evidence. It's like, you know, I'm in the lab, and I see this, you know, we're in the, with the lab, and we see this, uh, the, these what's happening. And these people are outside smoking or they skip school that day or whatever. And, and then they're going to come and tell me what happened in the lab. No, you're not. You weren't there. You, you have no idea what happened. And when I started looking at these, the, the satellite data, I saw that people were just grasping for straws because at first they brought up the satellites. And I didn't realize until I think it was Salah mentioned to me that after the first hour, these satellites are in the dark, the, the low satellites. And I looked this up and sure enough, this is true. They, they would have been, they would, right above me is going to be definitely in the dark. And, and then they came up with the thing that I, because it hadn't moved, I kept saying, this thing did not move. It was in the same spot and I was looking for an object and it didn't. So then they said, well, you're seeing a geocentric satellite. You're seeing one of these communication satellites. And of course, you don't really think about it. You just sort of accept, well, maybe they might be right. And you suddenly realize uh, uh, one of these communication satellites is about the, about the, the, the size of a person. Exactly. And it's above the, it's above the equator. It, which is 30 and up 35,000 kilometers. So the question is, you're actually telling me that this thing is the size of a person and it's 35,000 kilometers away and you can see a person at 35,000 kilometers? Give your head a shake. Plus, I, anybody who's had a, I used to have a satellite dish in the old days when you could get free satellite. Um, I had a satellite dish and, and I had never thought when they started attacking me on this thing about these uh, communication satellites is that everybody knows that when you, you you point your satellite dish, you're pointing it into the south at about 32 degrees. That's what I figured Mount Shasta was, that these satellites would be at 32 degrees 
uh, over flying over the equator. They're going to be way south of us. It's not going to be above your head. And so um, all these things are sort of eliminated. But as for the sightings, I never really, uh, a lot of times when I go to conferences, everybody wants to do these um, uh, Skywatch things. And to me, they, they always are disappointing because, you know, people are looking at, you know, something flying across the sky or even if flashing stuff, it's sort of like, Man, if you guys have seen what I saw in 75, I'm going to bed. This is a waste of time. I mean, who cares about, you know, some little light in the sky. I mean, the stuff I saw, I saw five up close in, in 75, 76. I had the one, and I described in the book. I was so close I was going to jump on it. I mean, I, there's no doubt that I was looking at something pretty pretty strange and, and not from this planet. But the, the stuff that you usually see, like after the Shasta event, we went up to uh, East Seti, and oh, we saw yeah, okay. a set. And we saw a second flashing um, light, but it was moving. And even I said to the girl when she spotted, I said, eh, it might be a satellite because it's moving. I'm thinking, you know, it's rotating or whatever, and it's flashing as the, as the, as the uh, things come around. And I'll have to get the exact date we were there and look at the iridium thing because the iridium ones are the only ones that really flash. Yeah, the yeah. ones that, that are flashing up, up high are going to be very, very faint flashes. The iridium flashes are pretty bright. But um, so to me... Um, I'm always very disappointed in sky watches, uh, and I always think to me it's always like uh, people are asking, you know, go to the the, the um, go to the zoo, and I mean, are the polar bears going to come out? Come on, we want the polar bears to come out. And it's, to me, it's always like uh, people are they they sort of lack faith where they they want to see something because they they have some doubt that this actually exists. But to me, it's like there, there's no doubt this exists because I had these very close up encounters. And then I guess I should tell you the last thing that was really bizarre. And I actually was talking, I was at a conference last week in Ohio. I'm talking, and um, um, David, uh, the guy who writes the book Pilates? on triangles. Yeah. Oh, triangles. oh, he does oh, a triangle book. David Mar and, Marler. Marler? Marler. David Marler is there. So I'm actually telling him about this sighting. And I think he even looked at me like, yeah, I don't know about that, you know, because I said I saw a triangle because I saw a triangle in 76 in, uh, and this thing was right above the car. It came, uh, sat, I mean, I don't know. It was either very close or very big because when I looked at it with binoculars, when my hands were shaking so bad, I had them against the inside of the glass of the front seat looking up at this thing, and it was the entire field of vision. But we, we left, I think we left the East SETI, and the girl with me was driving, and we're heading for Vancouver. We're doing a lecture in Vancouver. And all of a sudden, she says, look at that, look at that. Look. And she, she'd been watching it for a while. And, and all I did was look up, and it was, um, I was in the passenger seat. I looked up, and it went through my field of vision, like for about a second, because we're moving 70 miles an hour and this thing was stationary and it was the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen in my life. And she said, we got to look this up. And I said, well, no, let's wait to see what people say. And what it was, what it looked like was a bunch of light bulbs all glued together in a triangle. Because I said, she said, do you see that? And I said, well, what'd you see? And then she said, it was a triangle of light bulbs. And I said, what kind of light bulbs? Because this is the catch, like what kind of light bulbs? And she said, clear ones. And I said, that's exactly what I saw. It was so weird. It was like these clear light bulbs that were completely clear, and you couldn't see anything on the top, but these nine light bulbs, like one, say two, three, four, in this triangle shape, they were flying, and they were, it was stationary in the air, and it was not that high up. It was, I don't think it was that big an object, but it wasn't that high up. And I'm looking, and I'm going, that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. And she was on the MUFON site trying to find out how many people had seen a, a, a triangle of flash uh, uh, of these light bulbs. And I actually told David about it, and I don't think even, he didn't even write it down. It was like, well, yeah, whatever, you know, and I'm thinking, well, that was, that was pretty weird. I, I, I've seen a couple of weird things since, but really nothing compared to 75. 75 was sort of like when, uh, so I tell people in sky watches, if you saw what I saw in 75, you'd be past the sighting stuff. You don't need to, you don't need to believe anymore. You, you know, this is for real. 
And uh, so I sort of spend more time at um, what are these things? How do they get here? How do they work? Who's behind it? And all the messages that they seem to be putting out and, and the experiences. I'm just, I'm just riveted with experiences, people who claim that they've sort of interacted with, with these, uh, these objects well, or so these what, what, beings. Well, what about, taking it to, what about taking it to the next level, like a Skywatch turning into, uh, you know, I mean, we, I don't think we go out necessarily for just for watching lights in the sky, although that's, that's, it's good to start seeing some more activity up there. But it's it's the chance that you're going to see some landing or some have some encounter or you know, I mean shit. Oh, go yeah, for I, go, I for, go I mean, for a ride. I mean, you know, if oh, there's enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but that's the thing is that in all the sky watches uh, I've I've been at, it's always just these lights in the sky. That's with the Shasta thing because next year, like it was in the middle of August, then it was like freezing cold. Next year it's September the eighth, and I'm going back just in case the thing lands in the bush because they had. They had uh, three of these landings in the bush, 2012, 14, and 15. Right. And and then there was this message, the, the most bizarre thing of the whole thing. So I'm going back September the 8th next year just to see if it lands in the bush again. I mean, that I'd be kind of interested in, even though I'm really, you know, you know, I'm sort of, I'd rather have these the girl that was, that dragged me there, because she's really big into this. I'd rather her go through. But, you know, if I saw it, I mean, that would be the thing. Uh, sort of the highlight of my life if I could actually see an alien because I've never had any uh, messages like in terms of hearing anything. I've seen a lot of stuff in 75, 76, maybe 100 different objects. and uh, But I've never heard anything. I've never gotten any messages. I've never had any real bizarre stuff. It's just basically sighting stuff. So I would be you know, very interested in that. And that's why um, Shasta um, so much interests me is that you actually have these things where, like Stephen Greer talks about, one's coming down very low, where you know people are very close to it and stuff like this. But these ones actually have the one, and and if it were, um, I, I would have been picked. I would have been one of the six people to go into the Zendra, and then I, I told people because there was a lot of people fighting about it when I made public the fact that I'd gotten this message. I made that public because they said we we want Grant to make this public. So I put made it public and then this big war started. And people <laughs> some people some some people from the meditation group were saying, well this isn't a circus. This, we're not here to see the thing in the bush and stuff like that. And it's like, well, no, we're not there for meditation. If they had told me it was a meditation, if Antarell give me the message, he would have said, talk about the meditation, put out the message that we're, we're, uh, we're doing a meditation thing. That was not the message. The message was, I'm coming to the mountain and there's going to be a planned encounter Saturday night. That's the circus. That's what a lot of people are going for is this whatever happens on the Saturday night. So um, there was that. And then there was this other bizarre angle where when you're around contactees, um, you suddenly you start to see this thing with automatic writing or people channeling. Uh, I'm fascinated with these people, and this is what happens as this event. I'm watching this Ricardo guy walk around. I'm I'm watching his reactions very very closely as this thing's taking place. What's he thinking? He's looking up the sky. He's looking at his watch, and you know, is he nervous? Is he you know? Because he's, he's he's on the line. He's actually predicting this is going to occur, and um, so I'm I'm watching his reactions. So as soon as this event happened, I still don't know if this is the event. It was very bizarre. But I'm, and then he says, either says, I've got a message from Antorell, or let's see if there's a message from Antorell. And he's sitting two seats over from me. The girl at this, uh, Katarina, who would actually drag me to this thing, was sitting beside me, and, Antor and, and Ricardo was right beside her. Then the weird stuff started. He has this black, um, sort of like a, a diary. He opens this diary, and his wife's got a cell phone, and she puts the cell phone on the on the um, uh, the book, because it's pitch dark, and it's just pitch dark out there. And and then suddenly his hand starts to write with his automatic writing. 
And the girl beside me said, no, he's channeling. I'm thinking, no, no, he's automatic writing. I mean, he's moving. his hand was moving like a mile a minute. It's going across the page. And then next page, and turn the page. And he's writing away. And all of a sudden, the writing starts to go sideways on the page. And it's like, it's going up into the corner. And I'm going, I said to her, I said, can you see that? The, the writing's going sideways now. And then she says, oh, it's just the way he's holding the book. And I'm going, no, it's not. The, page, the, the writing's going sideways. And then it's going actually from the bottom of the page to the top of the page. And I'm going, why did I have my camera? I didn't bring the camera. It was almost like low on power. And I didn't bring it to the to the event that night. And I would love to film that because it went on for, oh, 15 pages. He was He's quickly writing this stuff. And then he stops and he closes the book and he sits there sort of in a meditative state. And all of a sudden, boom, the book's back open again and he's writing away again. And then there was these messages, these two messages, one from Terrell and one from this female alien that this woman had seen in the crystal shop in 2016. So there actually was two messages. And only I would have picked that up, that he actually stopped. He closed the book between these two messages and he sat there. And so I knew that it did make it made total sense to me when he had these two messages. And the message basically said, uh, we appeared and Grant will see us in the future. And he knows that. And 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 then they had the big thing. And they said, it's all connected, which is the name of my publishing company. I'm going like, well, did Ricardo know this? I mean, like, this is part of the message. And the other thing was, uh, he's going to put the puzzle pieces together. And to me, that was always the way I described my download experience that when I had in 2012, the consciousness download experience was that these puzzle pieces were put together in my head. So I always used the term putting together puzzle pieces. And, and it was just bizarre. And the other thing that was in this message that sort of rocked me was they were used the word nodes. And the girl beside me on the left side of me, she does this channeling thing. I'm actually uh, talked her into putting her, her channeling messages in a book. I said, come on, let's just stick it in a book. Nobody buys it, who cares? We can, we can stick it in a book. We can do it very fast on how to self-publish this stuff. And she channeled this thing about nodes about three weeks before we went there. And so when, when the message said nodes, that we have, we have these nodes around the world, I looked at her and I, did you hear what he said? Did you hear what he said? He said nodes. And it was just so weird. Either they had picked up all this stuff that we had been talking about, which I think is totally impossible, or, you know, name my publishing company and stuff like that. Because these people are all Spanish. They, I mean, they have, most of them can't even speak English. And uh, so it was a fascinating sort of uh, event. But again, it was like, I was thinking to myself, like, is that the best you could do? A couple of flashes? Because the message sort of was like, the, you know, the world's coming to an end and we're, you know, they've destroyed their planet and they've come to warn us we're on the same timeline and that we're going to do the same thing and stuff. And it's like, I mean, if the world's coming to an end, I mean, don't you think it could get done a little more dramatic than a, these flashes in the sky? I mean, you could have landed in the bush or something. I mean, I'm there to tell your message and I would have put the message out. And I, so all I'm thinking about is like, oh man, I got to put out a stupid message about these flashes. And I, and it's exactly what happened. One guy even sent me a warning has a big, huge Facebook site, sent me a warning, says, don't you dare say that this was alien, this was a satellite. And he's the one that said it was geo he said it was geocentric satellites. And here's this guy, like uh, Joe Nobody, giving me a warning as to what, I, what I'm gonna put in my report. It's just, I mean, people have such vested interests in what they think is going on. And the skeptics, I mean, they, they spend their whole day, I mean, it's like they got nothing better to do than read websites and talk about being skeptical and being as skeptical and cynical as they can. And it's like, it just sort of, uh, that's what, another reason why I want to get out of the UFO community because you have the conspiracy stuff, which sort of drives me nuts. The sort of the, it's sort of like this negative vibration that there's this evil government and this evil cabal and, and evil aliens and evil this and evil that. And, and, you know, we're all under watch and I keep telling people, you know, I've been as 42 years, I've never been threatened and I should be threatened. I mean, I went after the president, I, you know, I confronted <laughs> Dick Cheney on a radio talk show. I mean, I went after the head scientist for the CIA and I, I've written about him in about three different books and, um, 
and 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 then they the head brief one of the briefers for the CIA. I mean, if anybody should have been threatened, it should have been me. And I've had nothing. In fact, I've got the CIA guys basically actually wanting me to do stuff. I mean, indirectly, he's putting messages to people that they they sort of like what I'm doing. So I mean, yeah. I, I so I see this negative thing, and I figure like you know I'd like to get into consciousness and do reality. What's what's reality? How does consciousness work? Uh, what's the real world like and stuff like that? And the messages and get out of this. Uh, the sort of constant battle with people who want to sort of argue every little thing or uh, convince me that, you know, there, there is all this evil stuff. And I said to them, you know, even if it, if it came down to it, I mean, even if all these uh, bad conspiracy things turn out to be right, what's it got to do with you and I? It's got nothing to do with uh, Basically, you start your life. You come in and if reincarnation is a fact, which I always say to people, this is the main thing you got to realize in, in the world, that if reincarnation is a fact, Everything in the UFO field changes, absolutely everything, because then you came in on an agreement to do something, and then we got to look at, did we end up in the UFO field by accident, or did we agree to do this? Have we got some sort of thing that we're supposed to be doing? And that's the way I sort of look at it. Like, we we actually, I may have been on a sole contract to come in and do this kind of stuff, and that's why I chose to do that, so why I sort of fell off the edge of the earth, whereas my friends who saw stuff in 1975, this went on with their life, and I just, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. And so, and I say, you know, so you have this, maybe something you're supposed to do during your life. And when you die, you're not going to be able to say, well, you know, I didn't do anything in my life, but you know, if they hadn't blown up the World Trade Center and if they hadn't, uh, you know, uh, covered up the UFO and if my mother-in-law hadn't made me upset and the dog ate, ate my homework and, and they're going to call time out because none of this stuff really has anything to do with you and I, even if all this stuff is true, all you have to worry about is what had I come to this world to do? And am I doing it? And and that's to me is, is that's what I'm trying to figure out now is 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 what is the mission? What is this whole thing? And uh, what's my part in this? If I do have any part in this? Huh. Red. Wow. <laughs> where, where to start? Uh, yeah, I've, I've been reading about uh, Sixto Paz and, and Mission Rama. Yeah. You know, ever since the nineties. You know, in, in old esoteric Spanish magazines. Uh, I was under the impression that the entities they were in contact with were from Ganymede, one of the moons from uh, Jupiter. Um, well, I'd have to check because I'm not an expert on Rama. I just sort of got dragged into this um, thing. I talked to Ricardo and he said, oh yeah, uh, yeah, I know of them, and um, but I'm, I'm not involved. I thought he said they were the same planet as well. I'd have to check, but... Uh, they, that would be their base in this solar system. Sure. I think they're they're talking about Alpha Centauri. Most of these people are talking about a planet in Alpha Centauri. I guess we'd have to to check that and and clarify um, uh, where these um, beings. I I just had the impression it was the same Apu planet. Mm -hmm. now, it's interesting because uh, you read the origin story of of, of Rama and yeah. Sixto and his brother. You know they were teenagers. And they decided to try to get in contact with aliens through yeah. automatic writing, right? And and they. Well, I, I, my under, well, again, I'm not an expert. I, my understanding yeah, sure. was that they they saw the UFO first, and the automatic writing sort of came shortly after. But yeah, they did use automatic writing. Yeah, and and that fascinates me because I mean, in the story of of parapsychology, automatic writing was first used not to contact aliens but yeah. to contact spirits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. so so I'm trying to find uh, I'm trying to see these correlations, you know, how uh, using this uh, 
psychic instruments, it kind of like gets uh, revamped to our uh, modern age. You know, you're, we're now trying to contact yeah. ETs in craft Absolutely. instead of, you know, the spirit of, uh, I don't know, of a gentleman that died in, in the 1700s or something. And Absolutely. the thing that all has always worried me with channeling is how do we know these entities are not uh, tricking us? Well, okay. My, my thing is that I don't believe evil aliens. I don't believe, I, I believe as the CIA that one of the briefers for the, the president, the CIA briefer, his name is Jim Semivan. He's the guy that's running Tom DeLonge's operation. He sort of explained it the way I understand it is you manifest what you think. Your, your perception determines your reality. So um, it's like a near-death experiences. Uh, the same sort of thing happens. You run into these uh, evil near-death experiences, good near-death experiences, or in lucid dreams, and psychedelic researchers. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of work on psychedelic research. So the way they would talk in lucid dreaming is that if you run into a evil alien, evil devil, evil whoever, they basically say what you do in a lucid dream is you turn around and you treat it with unconditional love and you give it a hug and it will turn into a positive being and give you a message. And so I say that you're basically, and John Mack even brought this up in his, in his second book where he talked about, he hypothesized that the being that you see is determined by your belief. So if you have, uh, you have deep, dark forces inside yourself, you're going to see a reptilian. Mm. If you have, if you're troubled, you'll see a, a gray. If you are very sort of religious, you'll see an, uh, an angelic type being. And that it's determined by that you manifest a lot of stuff. Same as in near-death experiences or psychedelics. In the psychedelic research, they know this at John Hopkins University, they do the psilocybin research with people and they were 30% of all uh, uh, these things will go south where you're going to get the negative experience, where you're, you're going to... Yep have at least a couple of seconds of, of uh, very negative stuff. And what they do is they have two people in the room. And when this thing happens, those people will take the person by the hand and they'll say, go towards this thing. Do not walk away from this thing. Go towards it. You ask for this and it will, it, it will, it will leave or it will turn into a positive being. And uh, so you see this, this similarities across um, all these different things where uh, I say the ground of being is not, is is consciousness. That it's all consciousness. And so when mm -hmm. channeling, I say all everything's channeling. I'm channeling right now, and I can channel faster than anybody. And people will say, "Oh no, it's, you're just speaking." Well, the idea is either I'm channeling from a very sort of low level, sort of a conscious level, or there are neurons running in my head, putting words into sentences, and they're putting them in the right order. And 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 at my rate, I can do like three a second where they have to quickly put these words and they got a little lady to check the grammar and stuff like this. And it all happens automatically. It's almost like, like channeling where, uh, so I see that actual speech is channeling. You're, you're pulling it from somewhere. It is not, it, it, it's going through your, your brain, but it is not your brain. It's not, there's no neurons that are putting words in the sentence. And so then you'd get like channelers who uh, basically have sort of a low level uh, where they're just sort of channeling and they're still awake. And then you have the trance channelers like Edgar Casey and people like mm -hmm. this who don't remember where they were, uh, what actually happened in this sort of event. And I think that's just going deeper into consciousness that the, the farther you get away from the conscious mind, the better your, your information will be. And if you take a look at the UFO field, it's the same thing. Whether you're talking uh, these beings, Jacques Vallée brings this up. 
that if you go back and you look at it, maybe it's the fairies, maybe it's the same thing. It's all the same thing. And it's the same phenomena. It's the same entities on the other mm-hmm. side in consciousness that are coming back and they appear as fairies because then you, you believe in fairies. Now they're appearing as aliens and they're going to appear as anything else. And a lot of experiences I've asked them, we're, we're about to publish a book by Nancy Tremaine. And she's in contact with the reptilians. And, of course, everybody believes reptilians are these evil, terrible aliens that, you know, are up to no good and stuff. And I asked her directly. I did just did edit her video last night to promote her book. And I said to her, I said, okay, everybody says uh, reptilians are evil. What do you say? Absolutely. She said, absolutely not. And she actually asked him, are you an alien? And he said, no, I'm not an alien. And that's the whole thing. You can screen image. The same as when my father died. When my father, my father played the skeptic all his life, and yet I think he was a believer, but he played the skeptic with me. And two days before he died, his father comes to him, and, and my mother, he doesn't tell me, because he knows I'm probably going to shove it down his throat, but he tells, my mother, he tells my mother about it. My mother says, oh, your father was here? Really? Uh, what did he have to say? And he died in 1956. And he said, he was just here. That's all you need to know. And uh, so the thing is, if, my, if the reincarnation is a fact, then my grandfather lived a thousand different lives. So why would he come as the grandfather? Why would he come as my father's father? Because if he came as any of the other beings that he had that he had lived in past lives, my father wouldn't have known who he is. So you get this screen imaging thing, and it's all this screen imaging thing. They appear as different things. They appear as owls. They appear as deers. They appear mm-hmm. as balls of light. And, and that's the other thing I talk about when you say, okay, it, it's an alien. It's, it's an actual flesh and blood alien. And I'm going down the road with Jacques Vallée and saying, I'm going to be very surprised if this turns out to be extraterrestrials and spacecraft. It seems to be much more complex than this in terms yeah. of the fact that when, when you start looking at it, uh, a lot of people will say they actually asked the alien and it wasn't an alien. And I ask every experiencer and I asked Betty Andreessen, who, who's probably one of the longest ones to have contact with a being, 1946, and her husband, Bob Luca. I asked both of them the question. I said, Betty, tell me. And Bob, in 1946, you were dealing with this being and there's always one being that sort of talks to them and the rest of the beings do the work, but the one talks to them. And um, so I said, I want to ask you a question. Did the, did the alien ever get any older? And every experiencer I've talked to has said the same thing. No, but the alien is a long time. They try to justify it. No, the alien never got any older. Betty Andreessen was like a six-year-old, seven-year-old girl. Now she's like almost 80 years old. She, she went through her whole life. And these aliens, they're always the same. And John Mack actually describes one case where he's talking about the guy. And he said, well, you saw this alien. Is that the first time you saw the alien? No, no, I saw him when he was nine years old. Oh, that's the first time you saw him. No, I saw him uh, when I was three years old or whatever. And then he says, is that the first time you saw him? No, I saw him in my last lifetime. And you get this thing where the alien goes through. So the thing is, even with Stephen Greer talks about the one and a lot of experiences have talked about this. It starts as a ball of light and it turns into an alien. So the question is, is it a ball of light or is it an alien? And if it's a ball of light, does it have bacon, eggs, toast and coffee in the morning? The thing is, this may not even be a physical phenomena. It may be a, a phenomena where these beings are in sort of a higher vibrational frequency where they're not physical. They can come into the physical and take on a physical form, a flesh and blood form, but they can actually move back into that sort of thing. So people will say um, th- there's, there's, there's good aliens, bad aliens, good entities, bad entities. And I say that it, that it's basically a manifestation of, of what you you want. That if you if you believe in those kind of things, or for example, in near death experiences, people will see Jesus and they'll say, "Oh, it was Jesus." 
And I said, well, which Jesus was it? Was it the American Jesus with the blue eyes and the blonde hair, or was it the Middle Eastern Jesus? Or if you have a near-death experience in India, you're going to see a Brahmin, and you're going to see this kind of stuff, that your, your perception determines what your reality is. And so I think a lot of this stuff is basically manifested, and I believe in the, in the oneness concept. I say that is the number one message that aliens are trying to put out. 54% of all experiencers that have been surveyed by the free survey will say that they were talked about oneness oneness is the key it's all one mm -hmm. that is and, and to understand it at the absolute bottom level that everything is connected everything is one and to say okay there's one but then there's this evil stuff outside of oneness i say no it's all still oneness and i had three big experiences in my life one was my first ufo experience one was the 2012 download and my third was seeing dr michael newton who was a clinical psychologist who did 7,000 regressions and he developed this whole theory about life between lives where you do these four hour long regressions, take people into the, into the, into the life between lives. And in there, it really goes off the rails in terms of the evil thing, because then you get stuff like Hitler, where Hitler does what he does. And when he steps off the stage, everybody applauds because that was his role. It's this whole idea that everybody's playing a, a, a role. And that even when you get things that you think are evil, that these things are actually good things. These are things that are waking you up. It's almost like unless you have pain, you don't know you have a broken leg unless you have that, that everything plays a part. And because we want good, we say, well, we're the good guys and these are the bad guys. And so what I say is that separation is the cause of all that we call evil, that if you actually firmly believe that everything is one, everything's connected, which I think is the big message that they, they put out, the aliens are putting out, is the idea you cannot have an evil, you cannot have a war, you cannot have stealing, you cannot have a, if you realize that everybody's part of you, all the, the good, the bad, everything is part of you. And, and, and I can accept maybe, probably not in a couple of years, but right now I can sort of accept the fact that on an individual level, there's good and evil. But what people usually do is they, they move it from there and they say, all Jews are bad, all gray aliens, that's Tom DeLonge's whole thing. All gray aliens are evil, and we're going to, we should use nuclear weapons. We should launch them up into the upper atmosphere and take these evil aliens down. And once you put everybody in a category that all Arabs are evil, uh, and or the Arabs say all Americans are evil, you know, the great Satan, and that you can kill anybody and not worry about it because they're all evil, uh, that's where I think these evil ideas sort of get us going down the the wrong path. I think it's all there. And and so when I would go into a channeling session or something, I would say to the people, don't bother trying to protect me. I don't need the white light. I don't need anything. When I see something in that in that life and it is evil and it's whatever, I'm going to confront it with absolute love and I'm going to go after it. Or even there's experiment done. I think it's in Edmonton. There's a woman who does research um, and this is with lucid dreaming. And um, it's got to do with kids who play video games. So you have the evil thing. I mean, are, are the, is there's this evil force that you would run into in your dreams or in, in this uh, lucid dream state? And what she pointed out was that when uh, kids who do video games get into this state where they run into an evil being in their, in their dream state or whatever, they, they go, really? There's, there's, cool. there's an evil thing chasing cool. me? Cool. Yeah. Let's kill it. And they turn around and it, so it's all attitude. It's sort of like, it depends how you react to, to what it is. And it's, it, they use this in the, especially in the, um, the lucid dream and the psychedelic stuff. But they say, if you run away, you will never get over it. It's like the, the PSD thing. You've got to face it. You've got to, you've got to confront it. If you try to run away from it, it's like uh, Carl Jung talked about the shadow. Everybody has these shadow figures and that they are there to teach you things, to, to, to give you lessons and that if you if you run away, 
That's why at John Hopkins, they basically grab the person's hand and they say, do not walk away. Do not turn around. Do not run. Go towards this thing and 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 confront it. And that's how they deal with evil in, in this uh, sort of a, a, a dream state. And I say it's all consciousness. It's all the same thing. It's just that we're in a state where we don't believe those things exist. It's all to me. It's all consciousness. The ground of being is consciousness. A physical particle does not appear, does not take a position in time and space until there's an observer. So consciousness is primary. Matter is secondary. And consciousness is uh, everything is coming out of consciousness. Whether it's good aliens, bad aliens, good things, bad things, it's all a, a product of consciousness. And all consciousness is one. It's all connected. And that's how they actually get here. There's actually. Um, uh, there's these meetings that take place. I always tell people, send me a, uh, an email at whitehouseufo at gmail.com. I'll put you on the list. Uh, the head scientist for the CIA, well, we think he's the head scientist, or one of the key guys. He's the guy that probably briefed Donald Trump and the last six presidents. His wife holds a go-to meeting, and now they're talking about this portal thing, and they're talking about uh, all this uh, kind of stuff. And um, to, to me, that's... Um, the thing that they're going to talk about, I think it's Friday afternoon at four o'clock Eastern. They're having a show. His wife suddenly wants to talk about, I'd like to talk about entanglement, particle oh. entanglement. And I'm thinking, why would you ask us? Your husband is a PhD in physics. He's run, he run the parparapsychology, the, um, the, the, what they call the phenomenology desk at the, the CIA. Weird, the weird what, desk, yeah. The weird desk. And what people have to realize is that when the CIA calls it phenomenology, that is a hint as to what's going on. It is not UFOs. It's remote viewing, ghosts, parapsychology, uh, telepathy. It's the whole ball of wax because it's all consciousness. That's the ground of being. It's consciousness. And they know that. And that's why when the Canadian government document said in 1950 that mental phenomena may be involved, the top secret Canadian government document said mental phenomena may be involved in flying saucers. That's when they started the MK Ultra stuff. Hmm. That's when they started all that because they were trying to figure out how does consciousness work because they had a live alien in 1947. That's how the Americans knew to tell the Canadians in 1950 that mental phenomena was involved. Nobody was talking to aliens in 1950. Adamski and Williamson would not come forward until a couple of days after the detonation of the hydrogen bomb. Betty and Barney Hill would not become public until the mid-60s. Nobody said they were talking to aliens, in public at least. And so therefore, how did they know that mental phenomena was involved? Because they had a live alien. And they knew that the alien talk is telepathic and it gets in your head. And they went, wow, man, if we could discover how this worked. And so, of course, they threw every dime they had at consciousness trying to figure out how this thing worked. Because if you can get into the Russian's head and go and tell Putin that he's talking to God and uh, to straighten out your, your, what you're doing and the Americans are great and all this kind of stuff, that would be the ultimate weapon. That's why they spent so much time on MKUltra. It wasn't so much to brainwash people and stuff like that. It was to understand consciousness and the military applications of consciousness. So uh, consciousness to me is the absolute bottom and th that, that's how they get here. That's where in these go-to meetings, they're, they're trying to get across this idea of portals. That they have these portals. Nodes. That there's what? Well, portals. They're they're calling it portals, and that they even go to the fact uh, that uh, Joe Firmich, this dot com executive, I don't know if you remember him from the 1990s. He was big time into UFOs. Sold his company, made hundreds of millions of dollars, and was fascinated with UFOs. And he was the guy with the new MJ12 documents by Ryan and Bob Wood. He gave them a quarter million dollars to research these documents. And he's now back on the scene. He sort of lost a lot of his money, but he's back on the scene. Him and Bigelow's involved, I heard, huh. and people like this, because this is technology. And what it is is this portal technology. Yeah, but that, what was that, that message that you got through, though? You got that message through uh, 
two people, your your friend and that message from Antaral about nodes. Isn't that what they oh, meant? The, well, the nodes was in the message, but the nodes were, it's sort of like... Um, I, thought, I thought they were talking they, about nodal, they make, or portals, nodals. But they're talking yeah, about portals. Could, yeah, it could be, the, it could be that because there's certain nodals. spots on the world where they will appear, where they... But the way I understand the, where, they, where they, the Zendra is they create this Zendra. They create a, a almost like a bubble in, in, in the forest. Space that, that's when they describe this, this mist coming up from the ground, that you're not allowed to let go of people's hands until you enter, uh, until you cross the mist, because then you're inside the Zendra. It's almost like they create this portal or this, this, this um, sort of a bubble, they call it Zendra, and then they come into this. There's an interaction inside the Zendra between the human beings and the beings. So what I did is I actually asked this question through um, somebody who was in contact with Ron Pandolfi's wife. Like Ron Pandolfi's wife runs these meetings. So I put the question to, I never directly deal with these people, but um, I asked the question, ask the princess whether a Zendra is the same same as a portal. Because she's putting out the thing that she controls the portal and they have these portals and they ask people if they want to go, they want to volunteer to go through a portal. Wow. And they're talking about this stuff like, it, like it's happening and this is that you got to remember, like whatever you believe, whether they're telling the truth or jerking people around, you got to remember that this woman's wife is the guy that runs the weird desk, and he's sitting in the, and he's sitting in the background. Now he doesn't get involved in the conversation, so she's running this. This is recently. This is recent. Well, they, they've done this for about six months, and they have a meeting this coming Friday afternoon at four o'clock Eastern. Because I bug them. I, I I've been telling people. I say this is something everybody should watch. I don't really care what you think is going on here, but the fact that this woman. Well, how do you and watch it? She, she, well, it's on a it's on a go to meeting. So okay, if you okay. if you if you send me an email, anybody okay. wants to send me an email at whitehouseufo@gmail.com, they usually release the link about three hours before, and it'll start at four o'clock wow. Eastern time. And their conversation this week this week is on um, entanglement. On entanglement. Yeah. And so my first question is going to be. Your husband's a CIA top level CIA guy. Why are you asking us? Is this a subtle hint? that this might be invite, involved with portals? Because this is the whole thing I kept asking him. Like, how does a portal work? How does Joe Firmage in Salt Lake City have this back-engineered portal? Is it a material thing? How does it work? And they, they sort of play around with this thing. They really don't tell you. They're sort of rhymes and riddles and, and stuff like this. But they're basically hinting, and now the hint, the new hint is entanglement. And and they talk about these actuators, that there's these actuators that they, they, they recovered one from Costa Rica, and they had one that was on an island... Um, just off of Georgia and these actuators and uh, I asked the guy who put it out, I said, did you, was this coming from Ron at the CIA or did you think this up? And he said, no, it was me, but I think it may have come from Ron. And that was the idea that the actuator, what it does, it creates a vibration mm. and it creates this, this vibration, which is the portal. A portal is just a different vibration where you can sort of move through this into this other world. And and they even talk about it on, on that line. And you got to remember this woman, her name is Aliha Pendolfi is, Ron Pendolfi's second wife, and and she runs the Kashmir Foundation. So she's not like some slouch. She runs this big Kashmir Foundation that runs around the world saving endangered turtles and stuff like this. She's got a master's degree, and she claims that she came in a she came in a pod, and that she's from the other side of the portal, and that she's actually from the other side of the portal. Wow. And and they're not they're not. And mixing words about what's going on here, and the idea that she had come when her father was some big guy ambassador to, to the uh, Pakistan or some thing from Kashmir. I can't remember how the story goes, but she comes at five years old to the White House, 
And Ron Pandolfi has just graduated, and he starts with the White House. And he's friends with Ronald Reagan. He's running the Weird Desk thing. That's when he starts, from 83. He's been running the CIA uh, Weird Desk since 1983. Wow. And, that, and that's just when the portal is given control to, Ron, to Ronald Reagan. So there's this, all this backstory of all this weird stuff. And then the daughters, they had a six-year-old daughter. Her name is Kashmir, which is the place where this all started, this sort of thing with Kashmir. And she actually, at one broadcast, I said, um, let's let's have Kashmir close the show. And Kashmir comes on camera and she says, I just want to let you know, I'm only half an alien, but my mother's a full alien. And I'm going, holy shit, it's coming out of a six-year-old kid's mouth. This is not something this kid dreamed up. She's listening to her parents. And so if her parents and the, the one guy is the guy who briefed Donald Trump and is, is still a high level intelligence guy is saying this kind of stuff. The question is, what are they doing? It's like they're trying to get this idea of the portal out. They're trying to drop this thing. And what this, one of the stories is that Ron, I actually got a phone call. I, I got a phone call from a guy is, is out in public now, so I can basically mention his name. His name is Kevin Alber. And he worked with Gordon Novell with Spielberg in 2012. They were going to do a Spielberg, not a, a Robert Novell was going to do a um, sort of a documentary or a, a film. And he messed it up because he was just a totally crazy guy. And Spielberg was involved in this thing. And so this Kevin Alba guy was working with Novell and that all fell apart. But he gets contacted Ron, by Ron Pendolfi. And Ron Pendolfi wants him to go to Hollywood. And they want to put out a six-part documentary. Not fiction. Ron says, we've had enough fiction. We're going to do a nonfiction. And what they're going to do is a thing on the Avery. Now, I, if you if you know my background, I, I spent a lot of time yep. with Bill Moore. I, I'm, I know yep. a lot about the Avery. I've interacted with a lot of these guys. They're not an evil group working for the government. They're just a bunch of guys who at some point during their career had security clearance and ran up against the UFO phenomena. Huh. And then they got pulled in by Bob Bigelow for his NIDS group. They got pulled in by John Alexander for his UFO working group and they got to know each other and they suddenly realized there's all these other guys who got pieces of the puzzle and they talk to each other because they, they're trying to figure out the same as you and I, what the hell's going on because they don't have access to a lot of the material. They only had access to a little piece of the story. So these Avery guys, so this guy, this Kevin Elber guy phones me up and he says, uh, I, I was told to contact you by U.S. intelligence. I said, come on, come on, I'm, I'm a Canadian. Why would U.S. intelligence say to talk to me? And he said, well, you know about the Avery. And then he tells me that Ron has has given him the the job in Hollywood of getting a documentary on the Avery. And I said, well, he said, do you want? I want you to be associate producer or whatever. I said, no, I don't want to be involved. I, I, I know how these I know how these <laughs> games work. I don't want to be involved. And he said, well, he said you got two options. You can be on the outside and get 10, 15 percent of the information, or you can be in on the phone calls. You'll know exactly what's happening, how what we're going to do, how this thing's going to unfold. Wow. I said I'll take the 10, 10 to fifteen percent, and, <laughs> and I did tell him. But I'd rather be a chess player than a chess piece because I know what happens when you become the chess piece. Then they tell you you can't say this, you can't say that. I'm the type of guy I say everything. Anything you tell me is on the record. I mean, I'm not into keeping secrets and stuff. So anyway, I, in the and then as it developed, he said, I said I'll give you whatever you want. I'll talk to you. I'll advise you. You know, whatever and try to help set up stuff for you, but I, I just don't want to be involved. And then he suddenly started talking about the fact that they were going to do the portal. And I said, you're going to do the portal? He said, yeah, we're going to do, I think, four episodes on the Avery, and they're going to have these guys on camera, guys like John Alexander and all these people, and they're going to go on camera and talk nonfiction. They're going to tell about their life and what happened with UFOs and stuff like that. And then the last two episodes are going to be on portals. And I said, okay, so this is nonfiction. You're doing portals. Who's going on camera for the portals? And he said, oh, the princess is. Now I hear that Kevin Albert 
is actually has actually been to Joe Firmage's house, has actually seen his portal. And Ron Pandolfi told him, don't go through the portal. And that they're training him now to go through this portal. And, and I actually have, when I do my lectures, I actually show Ron Pandolfi. And one of the few times he ever goes on camera. And he's, he's sitting on a cruise ship. This is December of last year. He's on a cruise ship. And his wife says to him, okay, footman. That's his, his code name. Okay, footman, what do you say? And he says, everybody's always wondered what it's like to go into another world. And then he looks to his right, and there's this guy, but his name is John. He's an ex-Marine. I don't know too much about him. But he seems to be the main guy with the portals. He looks to this guy at his right, John, and he says, the next time John goes to the desert, and this is where this portal is supposed to be, next time John goes to the desert, a few of us here will go with him and into another world, and we'll come back again. And it's like he says this right on camera. So every time I lecture, I play this video of, of, of Pendolfi. He just knew we used the word portal, but there's enough backstory that we know the portal is, is when they're talking about going to the desert and going into another world. And they say it's like a dream world where you need permission from the other side to come through. But they're, oh. this is what they're, they're going to claim, that they're going to drop this in a documentary, this idea that we have portals, which changes everything. Because then it's no longer aliens flying in giant spaceships at the speed of light. Then it's... This whole thing, Friday afternoons meeting at four o'clock, entanglement, oneness, everything is everything is connected. The the question that that Jan Ald, Jan Hartson asked Ben Rich in 1994, Ben, how do they get here? How does the propulsion system work? And Ben turns around and says, well, I want to ask you a question. What do you know about ESP? And Jan Hartson says it means everything in time and space is connected. Everything's one. It's all connected. He said that's how it works. That is how it works. It's oneness. They're popping in. It's like entanglement. That's where it's almost to me, it's like a hint. They want us to know entanglement, portals. They're, they're dropping these little hints as to how this thing unfolds. And so to me, it's very important because it shows this primacy of consciousness. It's, it's not a physical world like people think it is. Mm -hmm. Basically, it all breaks down. It's all space. It's all these particles that can come and go. They get created. They, they get destroyed. Uh, you don't get a particle in time and space until there's an observer. Consciousness is primary. And the portal thing will, will basically verify this whole thing, that the material paradigm is wrong, that it, it's a mm. conscious paradigm that we have to look at, and that the material world is secondary. Wow. Red? I want to go back to a few of the things that we've been saying. And, and bear in mind that when I... Uh, mentioned the, 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 the possible danger of being tricked by the phenomenon. I never said that phenomenon is necessarily evil. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing on the fact that, you know, to say that the phenomenon is either good and evil is ascribing um, a human quality to a non-human, you know, agency. It's kind of like saying that psychedelics are, there are bad psychedelics and there are good psychedelics. Yeah. But thinking about that, thinking about, uh, then again, the, the, uh, you, do you agree that the phenomenon is nevertheless, nevertheless tricksterish yes. in nature? Yes, absolutely, and that's that's a key part of it. But that it's could like, also be consciousness as well. I mean, it could be our our un, you know lack of coherence in our consciousness. Okay, it could be. Oh, so I can it, see the trickster phenomena because I knew um, I, did, I did a lot of talk about with uh, Hansen, the guy who worked on the trickster phenomena. And th there is a component to that, but there's also the component about, are they going to actually give you a straight out answer? Or are they going to do this? There's an experiment that was done about, uh, they, 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 they do people's intelligence. Then they, meet them, they make them read Kafka stuff, Kafka plays, to totally mess with their minds. And then they re 
test these people and their intelligence goes up. So mm. I think a part of that is the idea that they are testing us. They are sort of running this trick thing where it's not a straight out answer. They're trying to get us to think. They're trying to get us to work through this thing ourselves and come up with the the idea ourselves. I totally agree there's a there's a trickster phenomena to this, but it's not just aliens. A trickster phenomena works in every sort of paranormal phenomena. It's it's in all this True. sort of phenomena. But I don't think it's really I uh, see I would say that it's more to train us rather than to throw us off the track. Because again, I mean if you really want to throw everybody off the track, you would just shut your mouth and not do anything. I mean if you if this if the spirit is silent, you're not going to learn anything. But if they're tricking you, if they're if they're talking to you, they are giving you an opportunity to learn. True, I agree. And, and so then we can uh, accept or agree that there is a, a certain absurdity by which the phenomenon conducts itself. Yeah, but the, it's, there, there is a method to the madness. It's an absurdity by design. Maybe, yeah. There's part of the testing us. I also uh, speculate whether it's also a way for the phenomenon to have the greatest influence on our culture without upsetting it too much. You know what I mean? Like provoking a, 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 a change from the bottom up instead of the top down. You know, this is like this is kind of like a grassroots kind of contact. And the only people that maybe are paying attention to it is, you know, outsiders like us you know, who see, you know, cases that do not make any sense to the people on the top, like, I don't know, Neil deGrasse Tyson or Stephen Hawking, who were saying, oh, well, how is it that, you know, aliens are only contacting, you know, crackpots and weirdos? Yeah. Although that's kind of changed because now you have people like Bigelow involved and mm. uh, Joe Firmage involved. And according to uh, Tom DeLonge, one of the richest guys in the world. And now I've heard about a new guy. Uh, all I know is his first name is Eric with piles of money who's now in this sort of thing that there are some major players who have gotten into the weird game of trying to figure this thing out it's not just uh, you know uh, toothless farmers in Nebraska who are experiencing this now okay so let's talk about Tom DeLong because <laughs> he kind of like became this big uh, figure in the yeah. UFO phenomenon in the last couple of years and it's kind of like, a, it's very controversial. Now, there are some people who are really excited about what he's bringing to the table. And there are other people who see him and think that maybe he, it's kind of like replaying the whole thing that happened to Paul Benowitz back with uh, the whole thing when Richard Doty and the whole thing with the Dulce base mythology and, and the way that he seems to have been, you know, deceived and duped and almost, you know, no, not almost, dri literally driven to madness, you know, by, by a foesing. So do you think there's a possibility that Tom DeLong could be the second Paul Benowitz? Uh, well, I have a different opinion on Paul Benowitz uh, than other okay. people do. And, and I was involved in that uh, case. I knew Linda very well at the time, and I worked a lot with Bill Moore. And Paul Benowitz, everybody always leaves out the, the beginning of the story. What was mm -hmm. Paul's original story? He was mm -hmm. seeing UFOs over the Manzano weapon storage area, which yeah. is was the biggest repository for nuclear weapons in the world. And it's like any other story. If you come across some sort of really classified material that they don't want you to 
to to to get out into the public. And that's what I say. One of the main things, that's with my Charlie Red Star book, I talk about the connection to nuclear weapons. They do not want mm. that story out there. So if you try to make that connection and you try to do that, here you have this high-level scientist who's reporting UFOs over ni- every night over the over the nuclear weapons. They got to run them. I mean, and the difference between Tom DeLong, Tom DeLong is dealing with intelligence people, and and Richard Doty was a counterintelligence agent. That was his mm. job was to counterintelligence to put in a phony story. So they ran Benowitz. Because they had to run Benowitz because he had this this thing. The same as they ran Linda Howe in 1983. And they offered her the, the Holloman Air Force Base film. They offered her. And the first thing they said to her at Kirkland Air Force Base when she was there in 83, just after Paul, Paul Benowitz's operation was still going on, is the government was very upset with the documentary you did on cattle mutilations. Because if you look at cattle mutilations, what I say, I, I quote... Um, uh, David Perkins, who claims to have the biggest sort of repo- uh, list of cattle mutilations, and David Perkins says that all cattle mutilations happen downwind and downstream from nuclear power activities. Mm-hmm. And that he says there's a 1997 study done by the National Cancer Institute that showed uh, high high rates of cancer, hotspots, downwind from uh, above-ground nuclear testing. And he said, when you take the map that the National Cancer Institute put out for hotspots, and you take a look at the cattle mutilation, he said it's a complete match. So it's this sort of thing. So they ran Linda Howe because they didn't want her, because she was going to do HBO. She had done, she'd won the Emmy Award in Denver for doing the, the cattle mutilation thing. She was making this thing public. It was going viral, and they wanted to shut her down, and they killed that, the HBO thing. They just dragged it out, and she eventually got she killed the thing. The difference with Tom DeLong is it's not a single... A uh, guy who um, um, that that is going to carry a story. He's the the way I see it happens is that Tom DeLong has a big media empire, so he's that sold 30 million albums. Every time he tweets, 15,000 retweet, and they set him up. Even though he'll disagree with this, they set him up. He was supposed to give this speech. Uh, Lockheed mm-hmm. Skunk has this this party, this uh, barbecue thing, and they want him to introduce the president. And he says, well, let's talk to the president for five minutes. They know he's into UFOs already. So they're they're setting him up. They bring him in, and it's the same as Bill Moore. It's like Bill Moore had 24 sources. Uh, Stephen Greer's got 540 sources. And basically, there's two options the, the government can do. They can kill everybody who's doing a UFO story, or they can try to manage the story. The same as they have a guy in Hollywood. And the, like, Chase Brandon. Chase Brandon was the liaison to Hollywood. And so if they hear you're doing a CIA movie, they say, oh, you're doing a CIA movie. Can I be your friend? Uh, We'd like to help you out. We'll take you to Langley. We'll show you around. It'll give you an idea how agents actually work. And you manage the story. It's not like you're going to kill everybody that that is doing a movie. You manage them. So that's what Tom DeLonge, the operation is. And they saw that he could carry a message. So I've got him when I wrote Managing Magic as one of the five messiahs. And then there's 14... Uh, people who are feeding the material in there. And these are usually CIA people. I name all these people and they're feeding the material. And Tom DeLong is only one of a number, but he's got 10 high level sources. So the question is, if you really want to throw people off, why would you take 10 high level sources and go to a guy who's got a lot of media influence? It's just going to put throw gas on the fire. It doesn't make any sense to go in and to say that we're going to just... We're going to, it's like, I'm having an affair with my wife and I'm having an affair with Sally. So what I'll do is I'll go and tell my wife I'm having an affair with Jane and that'll really throw her off. I mean, the more you talk about it, 
the, the, the more everybody says, maybe there's some truth to this. So Tom DeLong is a major figure. He's got some influence and, and he's, and, and these people got exposed in the WikiLeaks. That didn't stop anything because immediate when, when these four sources, including John Podesta were exposed and having this meeting on January 25th, 2016, I had a source inside Tom DeLong's camp and I phoned him up right away and I said, is it over? He said, no, it's going faster than it ever was. It didn't slow anything down. The, the program was still running. It's like they didn't really care that all these names got exposed. And in the end, nobody went after these, these two generals and Robert Weiss at Lockheed. Nobody went after them. No, nobody questioned John Leary or John, um, John Podesta. We went to three reporters. A friend of mine went to the three reporters at New York Times with this story about Tom DeLong and said, Tom DeLong had this. Here's the meetings. Here's the WikiLeaks thing. They had a meeting on UFO and all of them said, we'll pass on the story. And these were people who had done UFO stories. And they just said, no, we're going to pass on the story. So nobody followed up on it. So they have this message. They know it's going to get out. And the reason you pick Tom DeLong is Tom DeLong's got a bad reputation. One of the one of the things about messiahs is they have to, number one, have a huge ego. And they mm -hmm. have to have some real bad background in them. And that uh, the, the primary story that tells that is the story of Area 51. And and George Knapp says my version of Area 51 is, is the best version that tells accurately what happened. What happened there is they took Robert Lazar, took him on the base. They showed him all this stuff, but he was only on there for a couple of hours. He only worked a couple of part-time shifts. He wasn't there for a long time. And the reason they used him was because he had this bad background, that they knew that when his background got exposed, that he didn't have the two master's degrees on his on his resume, the whole thing was going to blow up. And he was a weird guy. He had rocket engines. He was running a brothel yeah, in Las into, Vegas. Yeah, into prostitutes. And, yeah. and, and all this kind of stuff. That's what you want. So the original idea was that it was going to be sent to John Lear. So during the interviews, and I have this in, in one of my books, I wrote the fact that when there was, and George Knapp confirms this, there was three interviews done with Bob Lazar before he went on Area 51. In the second interview, the first question in the second interview was, what's your relationship with John Lear and what do you think about him? So before he ever went on the base, they knew that he knew John Lear. And John Lear, if you remember back in 1988, you talk about uh, Dulcie Base and underground aliens get shootouts with 64 yep. people killed and all this. John Lear was the number one guy promoting this. And he was a big yep. time name. His father invented Lear Jet. He had run for Senate in Las Vegas. He was this famous pilot, had 120 uh, aircraft certificates and stuff like that. He was a big name, but he had these weird ideas. When you die, don't go to the light. The, the aliens, the greys are going to take your soul and take it to the moon. And he had all these bizarre ideas. He was a nice guy, told the truth, but he was just had a wacky ideas. So they wanted John Lear to carry the story. So what they do is they put Bob Lazar on the base. They show him all this stuff. And he goes back the first night, December the 6th, 1988. He goes to John Lear and he says, John, I was on the base. It's for real. And John, John said he's signing checks. And he goes, is it uh, their stuff or our stuff? And he said, it's theirs. And he goes, well, what the hell are you doing in my house? Get out of here. You know they're going to be watching. You know the place is going to be tapped. Like, what are you doing? Go in there, work for six months. Then come tell me what's going on. So, And this is what's the setup. They wanted John Lear to carry the story. Because like Tom DeLonge, who writes songs about having sex with dogs, you want this guy to carry the story. You want it to all fall apart. Because what's going to happen is they give the story to John Lear. And John Lear actually had the story for six months. And he was talking about what was happening on the base. And nobody was listening to him. So John Lear tells the story. We got back-engineered crafts at the base. We've got a live alien, all this kind of stuff. And everybody goes, eh, it's John Lear. Don't listen to John Lear. Who cares about John Lear? It's like Tom DeLonge. Man, the guy's wacko. And don't listen to... And yet the story bounces around and everybody hears the story. And they discount it because of the guy telling the story. But the story gets out. So what happens in the Bob Lazar case is the, it starts in November when he gets the interviews. He goes on the base in the beginning of December 1988. 
John Lear's got the story until March of 1989 when um, uh, George Knapp has heard the story. Still, is really not that interested because it's John Lear telling the story. And he's missing a guest. One night, there's no guest on his show. And he phones up John. He says, you know, you got that guy who was working at Area 51? That crazy guy? He says, I need a guest for night. Let's put him on. So they backlight him. They call him Dennis. Now it's no longer John Lear, wacko John Lear telling the story. Now it's 24 Emmy Award winning investigative journalist George Knapp telling the story. And suddenly it just goes absolutely viral around the world. The Japanese are coming. There's buses up in the hills. And and Clinton actually has to take a, a whole bunch of land away to move people from 11 miles to 25 miles because people are now up on top watching everything that's happening at the base. And it all backfired on them because it's supposed to be John Lear carrying the story. And it turns out it's a, a reputable guy. So that's what they'll do is they'll give it to guys like, like uh, you know, uh, Bill Moore. They'll, they'll, they'll sabotage Bill Moore. They'll give it to Tom DeLonge. They'll give it to the number one one for Pendolfi, uh, Ron Pendolfi, and his wife is Dan Smith. Well, Dan Smith from 1991 has said he's had a conversation with Ron Pendolfi almost every single day since 1991. He's the best man to a second wedding, godfather to his child, and yet it's all plausible deniability. So what, what Pendolfi does is he tells him stuff, and he'll only say it one time. And Dan says, either my antenna's up and I hear it, or I don't. And then he blogs it. And he's been blogging for 20 years, and he puts all this stuff in the blogs, Nobody reads it because Dan Smith had a drinking problem. Dan Smith would get on blogs and he would get kicked off. And he was, he was a real, he's, he's, he's apparently got uh, some sort of form of, of um, uh, autism. Yeah, well, he's, he's uh, Asperger's. Apparently he's, he mm. may have Asperger's. So he's, he's kind of a strange sort of character. And plus he believes in the end of the world. He's into eschatology, he's into religion and he's philosophy. He's got two master's degrees in physics, but he has this weird aspect. So everybody goes, as Dan Smith, like I'll say, go to Open Minds Forum, Dan Smith. He puts all this stuff, what Ron's telling them every day. But you read it, and it's like reading Shakespeare for the first time. And it's like, oh, my God. And people go, I can't read this guy. I'm not, it's just, it makes no sense. And if you read it, read it, read it, read it all the time, then you know who the acronyms, because he uses acronyms and code names for people and stuff. And then you start to know what he's talking about. But nobody reads the forum. And so that's what, how, they, how they get the story out, is they use these people like Tom DeLong to put the story out because it'll bounce around. He's, he, he's got, apparently, last I heard, he had raised $200 million. He was going to raise a um, uh, uh, billion dollars. Jacques Vallée is involved in this whole thing, from what I'm told. There's going to be money, millions of dollars, and Jacques Vallée is going to data mine. What they're going to do is they're, they're having 100-plus shows. It will run for years. And it's going to be like a trilogy. They're going to have toys and all this kind of stuff. This is the original idea. And they were going to take all these these big UFO stories. And Spielberg and J.J. Abrams were involved. They'd raised $200 million. And they're going to put all this stuff out through Tom DeLonge's To The Stars media empire. And Tom DeLonge can make this kind of stuff happen. He's very, very powerful in Hollywood. And, and he was going to make this, this sort of stuff happen. And that's what they wanted. But because it's Tom DeLonge, everybody says, ah, Tom DeLonge is this crazy rock star. Don't listen to Tom DeLonge. And the story is going to float around. That's all they want to do. They want, it's, it's almost like the trickster well, thing. Well, they well, want well, the story. Well, there's another political agenda as well, I feel. Like, like I feel like Podesta and, and Clinton were really not deeply interested in UFOs. They were only interested on the surface for some other reason. And now since this whole election... You've got guys like Bassett, Stephen Bassett and the Disclosure Movement and Tom DeLong unreasonably angry about the the um, what happened at the election. Like they're like viciously going after Trump, which seems a bit a bit. I mean, it's I mean, sure, all of Hollywood's in, in there as well. But 
this seems weird in the UFO field, like why they're so upset, as if there was some faint hope clause that Clinton and Podesta were actually going to make a difference in ufology. So is there some yeah. sort of deep state thing going on no. with, with uh, you know, the people that are, you know, pulling this this type of disinformation that you're talking about and maybe another group that either does or does not agree with what they're doing? Well, there's going to be a division in the government as to whether to disclose or not. Uh, I have a different opinion. I wrote a book on the Clintons and their interest in UFOs. Uh, I firmly believe the Clintons are going to do something. I was told Clintons had sightings, and I have heard another one like this as well, um, that they were deeply interested in UFOs. And uh, I think there was, something would have done. John Podesta is the same thing. I mean, John Podesta was the most powerful Democrat in the country. He did not have to go around talking about UFOs. I mean, this was the most toxic issue of all times. If you remember back in 2008, Dennis Kucinich was asked yeah. one question in a brief, in, in, a, yeah. uh, in Philadelphia at a debate, and that was the end of his career. I mean, when he suddenly admitted that he'd seen so, a UFO and denied that he'd seen heard voices. So why would John Podesta, this is where I say you got to look at this in perspective is John Podesta is running a billion dollar campaign for president. Hillary is expected to win. Uh, the, he's going to be at the center of power again, as he was in the Clinton administration. And so you have this situation where uh, this is the most toxic issue of all times. And then Lena Dunham, Dunham does the interview with, with Hillary Clinton and she doesn't bring up UFOs and he, and he does the famous tweet. And he said, good interview, Lena. Next time, ask her about the aliens. So if he's not interested in UFOs, if he doesn't, if he wants to cover it up, why does he bring it up? I mean, this is the old thing. It's like it's when you're bringing it up, you're 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 doing something different than covering up. So he says, ask her about the aliens, and you're running a billion dollar campaign. If suddenly Trump's campaign had picked up on this and had tried to run it, they could have played at like Hillary and and these guys. They're totally crazy, and Podesta, they're wacko people who believe in aliens and stuff like that. And they didn't do it because I absolutely maintain. And I argue with Steve about this. Steve didn't agree. I said absolutely put this in front of a focus group. John Podesta is the smartest. He, whatever you want to say, he's the Steve, smartest guy. Steve Bassett. Steve Bassett didn't agree. Oh, he didn't agree. He, yeah. he, he had some other, I can't remember what his explanation was yeah, for yeah. why he put this tweet out. But to me, or no, that the fact there had been a focus group, I said, there's no way he would have put this, because this is like a billion dollar, if he ever, suddenly her poll numbers went into the 20s, John Podesta would have gone down history as the stupidest man that ever lived because he brought up the UFO issue. He had to put it in front of a focus group and realize that it was not a viral issue anymore, that he could bring it up. So he brings it up. And then if you, if you watch the WikiLeaks stuff, what happens is that she's waiting for the question. And nobody asked her. He, John Podesta actually says online, everybody's picking up, everybody in Washington read the tweet, ask her about the aliens. And nobody, the media doesn't pick up on it. Nobody does anything. And if you remember in the WikiLeaks email, she's sitting there. She goes on the Kimmel show, November the 5th of 19. Uh, yeah, but she had to study hard on that. I mean, it was, it was like, no. they made it, they made it kind of like, oh, well, you know, she did okay. She even said aerial phenomena correctly or whatever. It just seemed so, it seemed so surface level in a way. I don't know. Okay. But she, uh -huh. but she had practiced it. Why, why was well, she, she was expecting the question and she got angry yeah, because yeah. they didn't ask her, the, she yeah. didn't ask the question. So they're preparing for that. I'm showing you. There's a background to this whole thing. This didn't happen randomly that that Hillary suddenly started talking about you. Hillary never talked about UFOs. Look it up. It's a fact. Okay. She never talked about UFOs. She only answered questions. What they were saying is ask her about UFOs. Three people asked her, and she was totally open about the whole thing. She talked about everything. In fact, Steve Bassett says, well, she didn't talk about, about the Rockefeller Initiative. She absolutely talked about the Rockefeller Initiative. She talked about it in 2008. Rob Simone at a $1,000 a plate dinner asked her about, about the Rockefeller Initiative, and she he said she didn't 
flinch. She didn't bypass the question. She directly said, yes, I was involved. I took the material to the president. Yes, didn't deny anything. In any of her statements, she didn't walk around. She didn't do the the George Bush, I'm not going to say nothing thing. She basically was very open. She actually said... They may already be here, which was the most one of the most dramatic statements any politician has ever made. Everybody can say, yeah, there's ETs out in outer space. It's another thing to say they may actually be here. She was very open about the thing, and she's in a position, no matter what you want to say, because she was in a position that she said, when I get in, I'm going to look into this stuff. She's on the record, so she's going to have to answer for it. When she when she gets in, Trump, on the other hand, didn't say anything. He doesn't have to answer for it. He didn't. Nobody's going to ask him a UFO and, question. But and and his uncle, right, went to he, he is, it was in the FBI and he picked up Tesla's papers after Tesla died. Apparently yeah, his, I, his first uncle. So, I mean, is this another is the other side of this controlling disclosure so that it doesn't come out so they can they can control the narrative and bring when free energy or some sort of, you know, um, exotic propulsion comes out that they're in control of that, of that disclosure. Like, I mean, it feels to me like, wouldn't it be the ultimate irony if Trump was an alien? (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, we go back to the same thing. That's not how you cover it up. You don't cover it up by leaking stuff and and telling people stuff. All you do is, that's what I mean. Like Trump hasn't, he hasn't leaked anything. There's been nothing about him. Has there? So maybe he's, He's playing the free energy card, you know, that he's going to be the one to to bring about this massive global change of free energy or some sort well, of I, uh, I think exotic technology. I think they control it already. I mean, it's not free energy. Everything is free energy. Uh, hydro is free. Uh, uh, you know, well, you solar know I mean. is free. You know I mean. when, when you bring it out, it's it's not going to be free. It's going to be it's going to be machines and people are going to control it and it's going to be taxed and they're going to do whatever. It, there, there's no such thing as a as a free lunch. It's all the it's all the it's all the same energy. Well, you so, know what I mean. Uh, though. I meant like yeah, zero yeah, point but, energy or whatever. Yeah, something that's but not we, fossil fuel. Based. Trump. I mean, this is the thing. You can go on these go to meetings and you can ask Ron sitting there. He may not answer the question. He's sitting off camera. And I mean, he's the guy to brief Trump. Uh, Diane Smith told me he was with Trump every single day. And the original way I've heard about this was that uh, one of the Avery guys, his name is is Robert Collins, who was the Condor in the Avery. He's a physicist. The Collins right? elite is he the one that believes in the demonology part of uh, aliens? No. no, no, he was a physicist no, at, Wright, at Wright Patterson Air Force Base, and he claims to be a contactee. And and but but he was the Avery in the in the uh, the Condor in the Avery. But anyway, he on January the sixth of this year or seventh, he posts on his Facebook site. He puts down. Ron, my good friend Ron Pandolfi, who got me an interview with the CIA, has said that Trump is open to disclosure and against disinformation. And I went, whoa, holy cow. Because wow. I knew Ron Pandolfi. I've written about Ron Pandolfi for years. And so immediately I started asking everybody I knew who knew Ron Pandolfi. And I had a lot of people who had interacted with him. For example, Ron Pandolfi. This is something that I now bring up because when people get into the MJ-12, I say, explain this if you don't believe MJ-12 is for real. The MJ-12 document was re- released in 1987 at the MUFON conference in Washington, D.C. Within hours, Ron Pandolfi brought in uh, Bruce McAbee, the Navy physicist, mm-hmm. into into CIA headquarters to give a lecture to a standing room audience at lunchtime to talk about MJ-12 wow. and about the CIA documents. So if you're going to leak it, why would you bring somebody into CIA? If you're if this is disinformation, why would you bring somebody into CIA headquarters to make a lecture on this the same thing that you're trying to throw people off? So um, good point. Um, so. Uh, so the with the Trump thing, what what happened was I eventually looked at everybody and and like 
Bruce McAbee wouldn't talk to me about it. He, he just said, no, didn't know anything or whatever. And then I went to Dan Smith. And he said, oh, yeah, I've been blogging about this for months. Give me a phone call. And he gives me his number, 4433799 and whatever. And I phoned him up and I, I said, you know, what's the deal? And he, I said, did he brief Trump? And he said, yeah, he briefed Trump. And he told me the briefing was done with uh, Ron Pandolfi, uh, uh, um, James Wosley, who was the CIA director for Clinton, and a, and a guy by the name of Mike Pillsbury, who's an expert on, on China. I looked him up. And and so he said there was he, there was all these briefings and that Trump basically was not interested, but that um, that he he was willing to let the program and that's that's how the briefings are done. He's, they go into the briefing and the, the intelligence briefing and they say, Mr. President, we're doing this 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 this. When you put your hand on the Bible at twelve noon, unless you stop us, we're going to still be doing this 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 this. And so they tell him we're doing this thing. And he basically said, according to Ron Pendolfi, what he told. Dan Smith, which is all plausible deniability, because Dan Smith says Ron Pendolfi will deny everything he said to me for 26 years, because it's just word of mouth. That's how it works. He said uh, that he said I'm really not interested in this kind of stuff. I got other things to do, but let the program. This program was running before. I heard about this long before the before Trump got in. That there are six teams. There are multiple teams, and for some reason they are running this thing. And Tom DeLonge is one of the operations. is run by a CIA guy who briefed the president. His name is Jim Semivan. Uh, Ron Pandolfi's running this this six part Hollywood thing. I'm sure Chase Brandon because there's six shows this year that mysteriously have portals in them like Twin Peaks and all these shows <laughs> where suddenly these portals appear. And it's like, where's this coming from? It's got to be somebody like Chase Brandon, who still works in Hollywood, ex-CIA guy, you know, liaison to this, uh, that he's putting this stuff in and they're dropping this stuff into these documentaries and, and stuff. And so they, they told me there's these multiple teams. And I, I, I may propose this as a question on Friday, but one of the things was I was basically told this basically started in about uh, January, about the same time as the Tom DeLonge meeting, where John Podesta has this meeting with, with these high-level, the two generals and Lockheed Skunk Works, and they're talking about UFO disclosure. And John, if you remember, Jim Sem or Tom DeLonge's thing was he phones up uh, uh, Podesta, and he says to Podesta, okay, I got this big plan. I'm going to do this disclosure thing. I'm going to, you know, I've got these people, whatever. And then John, he said, Sound like John wasn't interested. John just says, okay, let me think about it. And he doesn't hear about him for two months, and he figures he's totally gone. And then John phones him up, and he says, okay, I'm ready to play. So the question is, what does John do for those two months? He checks it out. Who's talking to Tom DeLong? What's the operation? And there, I will absolutely assure you, there is an operation to get this thing out. And what might have happened, and I, this is my, I'm just guessing, in November of 2015, if you remember back a couple of months ago, Trump's done it twice where he talks about we're no longer giving financing to the um, the uh, rebels in Syria. And the media picks up on it, and they said, he's talked about a black operation. It's now declassified. As soon as the president talks about it, it suddenly becomes declassified. In November, right when this has started to happen, when all these, these teams started to appear, and I say in 42 years, I've never seen what's happened in the last two years. All these people, all these stories, all these rumors of all these things that are about to be dropped on the public. And... It happens around that time in November 2015, Barack Obama is giving an interview to GQ magazine. And I think he may have declassified the UFO subject because what happened was he's asked by the guy, okay, you're the president. Do you ever get the secrets? Do you ever ask for the secrets? And Barack goes into UFOs. He says, you know, everybody always asks me about UFOs, aliens, and Roswell. I just want to let you know that that top secret stuff isn't as exciting as you think it is. 
And and so the, basically, he basically talks about UFOs. And the question is, was that a green light? Because this is about when it all sort of started. This is when Hillary, this is about the same time as the tweet when, when John Podesta says, ask her about the aliens. All these things seem to go in operation where the, the, the go-to meetings, they're not even hiding this thing. I tell people, watch this meeting. Whatever you think about this, you should watch these. This is the, the wife of the top guy having these meetings, talking about portals, talking about entanglement, all this kind of stuff. Whatever you think, sit there. Sometimes you got to go through a lot of garbage to get to them for five minutes talking about portals. But the thing is, you got you got to watch this sort of stuff. And the question is, why are they doing all this kind of stuff? Why and the, the, the meeting on Friday is completely in the open. And I tell people and they say, oh, I'm interested in disclosure. I want to get to the bottom of this thing. And then every time nobody shows up. It's like I got a list of over 100 people that say, oh, I'd like to go to these meetings and stuff. You can ask any question you want. You can confront them. You can do whatever you want. And the question is, nobody shows up. The, most times there's only 14 people because I got such a huge list. And now I think they're at their limit. They only have allowed 25 people into the meeting based upon their go-to meeting plan or whatever. So you get these people on there, and most people just sit there and watch. Nobody confronts them. Nobody asks questions or whatever. And I've found that they're fairly open. I've got a, a bunch of people that I got very interested in the thing. One of the producers from Gaia, uh, somebody who wrote for Psychology Today, pretty notorious person. And they've all got interested, and they made contacts, and... The Pandolfis are talking to these people. So it's like, why, if you're, if you're covering this up, why are you talking to all these people? Why are you open? I could actually go to Ron. I could phone him up. He'd talk to me. No problem. What time, is, the that? Question what is, time is that again? Four o'clock Eastern on <sighs> Friday. Four o'clock Eastern, fuck. But what we're going to put on, I got my, I, I'm starting to put my stuff on uh, White House UFO YouTube. I'm putting short segments. I've realized that everybody's got a short attention span. <laughs> so I'm putting all these 10, 10, 10 minute things up perfect, on. Perfect. I have a question like, like what's the story of Area 51? And then for 10 minutes, I'll talk about Area 51. And what we do is we post those meetings. Okay, so they good. don't, sometimes they don't tape them, but I tape them because I think people should see them. And a lot of people say, you got to edit this thing down. This is terrible to watch through this. Because again, it's like Dan Smith. And Dan Smith will start talking about philosophy and all this sort of stuff. And he runs, I call him the puppet. And he, he actually, in his last post, he sort of got a little upset because I call him the puppet, but he is. It's like you have the puppet master who's Ron Pendolfi. We have the president tells Ron Pendolfi what to do. Ron Pendolfi's the puppet master. His wife is the assistant puppet master. Dan Smith is a puppet, and I'm a puppet too. And, and so when Dan Smith starts talking, it's like, somebody get past the puppet. Get past Dan and talk to the princess because she's the one that knows what's going on. Dan, in, in terms of portals, he's never been through a portal. He's never seen a portal. He knows no more, more about portals than I do. But the princess knows everything about portals, and so does Ron Pendolfi. And the thing is to get them, but they're gradually leaking this. And that's why I said when this, this entanglement thing came up, I go, I mean, hold, is this a hint or is this a hint? Because I've always said that's entanglement. That's I've said the oneness concept. That's how they get here. They're moving through these portals. Everything in space is, is time. Time and space is connected. It's all one. And they're popping from one part of the, their universe to the other by going through knowing how entanglement works. Wow. Red, you want to jump in and make comments on that? Oh, well, I mean, I, I think that um, going with the idea that consciousness is the actual building block of reality instead of, uh, you know, energy and matter, I think is the way in which physics is going to move forward in, in the next 50 years. You know, Jacques Vallée had a, a very interesting um TEDx presentation in Brussels in 2010, yeah. in which he, he talked about that, and he talked about how all, uh, all of this is somehow also linked to the, the, the phenomenon of synchronicities. I don't know that you guys have this guy, uh, 
what's the name of this guy who is has his uh, uh, theories about synchronicities and precognition? Oh, you put me on the spot. I can't remember. Dan Davidson. Eric, no, it's not Dan Davidson. No, Eric um, Wargo, I think. Eric Wargo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, so, yeah. Yeah, precog, precog being, uh, you know, the, all the evidence for precog and that really a synchronicity is you're, you're picking up on the emotion of that moment uh, instead of actually the synchronicity happening. It's you picking up on, the, on that moment, that emotion. Uh, uh, Grant, what was the name of this um, scientist? Um, was it uh, Dr. Eric Clark? Uh, the scientist uh, we dealt with, you mean in the 80s? Yeah. Eric, Dr. Eric Walker, former president. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. And he asked us as well, like we were asking him about MJ-12, because what happened was the same as this. I have a bunch of people who are, who are dealing with the Pandolfis, uh, and um, I don't really deal with the Pandolfis, same as I didn't deal with Eric Walker. I just interested people and said, you should watch this Dr. Eric Walker. I think he's very important. And a lot of people started to try to do interviews with him, and we just gathered all the material. But at one point, whereas the guy from Great Britain was talking to him and said, uh, what about MJ-12? Is it still just 12 groups to 12 guys? And is it still all Americans? And he said, let me ask you a question. What do you know about ESP? This is two years before uh, Ben Rich used that expression. What do you know about ESP? Same thing. And the guy didn't have an answer. So he answered his own question. He said, look, unless you understand about ESP and how it works, you will not be taken in by the control group. Very few people understand how it works. And that goes to this sort of basic thing. And even lately, there's been a confirmation like Jacques Vallée absolutely talks about the, the consciousness connection. So does John Alexander. And if you look at the uh, the latest book that was released by Annie Jacobson, who wrote the famous book on Area 51, she wrote a book now on phenomena, which is the, the whole story about the CIA and U.S. government working on uh, paranormal phenomena like ESP, remote viewing. She goes through the remote viewing program. And she interviews all these people for her book. She interviews Jacques Vallée. She interviews Hal Putoff. She interviews uh, uh, John Alexander. She interviews... Uh, all these people, and they're all the same people that are in the UFO thing. The only and Dan Smith and I were sort of laughing. The only person's name that wasn't mentioned in her book was Ron Pendolfi, but all the rest of these clowns, they're all in there, and it's because it's all connected. They're all the same thing, and and she's talking about phenomenology, about you know this uh, sort of psychic phenomenon, remote viewing and stuff, and it's the same players because it's all this, it's all the the same thing. So that's um, sort of a critical. Thing that I think when, when you get on, on that track, then things start to make sense. Like, how do they go through walls? You know, how can they uh, become a ball and go into a, a, a um, you know, a, a, a being? And how, how does this, this all work? That it, things start to make sense. And, and I, I, I learned it by accident, by accident, by chance, and with this download experience. I never would have been into consciousness. I never thought of it. I just, you know, this thing popped into my head during this Colin Andrews lecture. And suddenly it all made sense to me. But um, I think that's where ufology has to move. And that's why I think the portal idea is, is so critically important rather than, you know, even Jacques, Jacques Vallée has this important stuff that he does with the, uh, with the metal stuff, which it mm -hmm. goes to the fact that this is for real and that this is probably non-human intelligence and there's somebody visiting us and stuff like that. But once you accept that, and, and I accepted that back in May 1975, because I was right up front and in my face. So I, I got past that and always wanted to know how does it all fit together and, and what's the answer to it. And it all comes down to the thing that it's it's got to do with reality. You know, how, how does the world work and how, you know, 
is it all connected? Is it all one? Is it all space? You know, even the idea, just a simple thing of space that, that people assume it's a physical world. You, you know, see, you know, you basically sort of uh, go based upon what you see and they think everything's physical. And then you realize that it's like 10 to the 52nd uh, all space compared to uh, matter. You know, the, the atom is all space and then the subatomic particles are all space and, uh, you know, everything's all space. And then you say, well, how hard could it be for a person that's all space to go through a wall that's all space? Well, if you understand how the world actually works, then it starts to make sense. Oh, I see what they're doing. You know, it's like it's not as as magical as it looks. They just understand things about how the world works that we that we don't. Or as Mark Twain says, it ain't the things that you don't know that get you in trouble. It's the things that you believe that just ain't so. <laughs> yeah, well said. So what do you see? see uh after being uh, involved with the UFO uh, research and you're not for so many out. years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's like, this is like the Godfather. You only get, <laughs> only if you get the keys from, of death from a gray yeah. <laughs> to get out. Yeah. So what do you see in the future? Maybe in uh, five or 10 years. And let's forget for a moment the whole thing about waiting for disclosure. Because for me, uh, I have to ad admit it's kind of an, an annoying Uh, topics is like waiting for the second coming of Christ. You know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, what do you see in the field? Do you see uh, moving forward? Do you see uh, people who are still embedded in the nuts and bolts side of the argument starting to come around and starting to embrace these uh, quote-unquote wacky ideas about consciousness and information and entanglement and whatnot? Yeah, I, I, that's where I see it going. In fact, I think there's some some good um, some good uh, things that show that we're we're actually getting somewhere. Um, there, there was a meeting that took place when we were at Shasta. There was a meeting that took place in Arizona. I don't know if you're familiar with it. There was a uh, 13 or 19 scientists. I can't remember. Uh, Schwartz was one of them. Uh, Diana Hennessy Powell was the one I know. She's famous for doing, um, and she's been involved with the UFO thing. Um, she uh, was famous for doing. Uh, ESP experiments with autistic kids. She has this one mm -hmm. girl, yeah, Haley, yeah. who hit 162 numbers in a row right in, a, in an ESP experiment. And she talked about this meeting that took place in Arizona. Uh, this is last month, uh, where 13 scientists uh, signed a, a declaration that the, the materialistic paradigm is dead. Wow. That, uh, con that consciousness is the basis of the universe and for all different reasons. Not all these people agree for the same reasons, but they basically said, and so when you get these high level scientists that have moved over um, to this thing, you can see that it's made, because most scientists won't move, even if they believe it, they won't move because you're going to lose your grants, you're going to lose your reputation, you're going to lose your job. It's just, it's not a place you want to go. Same as a politician. So um, you have this move where these people have, have made this move over. And I think it's going to be like, the way I describe it is, Because uh, I, I do describe the same thing about uh, disclosure. I wrote in Managing Magic, I give the 64 reasons that they've decided not to tell you the truth. And I say that if you got the 64 reasons, if you were the president and you and I gave you the briefing, you wouldn't disclose either. There, there's no benefit in disclosing. So what they're doing is yep. they're, they're doing this gradual acclimatization thing. It's going to be like uh, gays. When did gays actually sort of get treated like human beings? When did that sort of change? And you go... Well, I don't know when it was, 10 years, 15 years, I don't remember. Or, you know, like when did African-Americans sort of get treated normally? Well, you know, it's that sort of thing where it's sort of gradually happening that people are, are sort of accepting it. 
where um, and that's what uh, when I, I was talking, I was giving this theory that that the government is gradually acclimatizing us to this whole fact because you look back. They've been doing this since day one. I, I, t I tell the story in Managing Magic. I said, if you think they're covering this up, you got to realize that 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 uh, uh, um, Kenneth Arnold, the very first guy that had the sighting, he was like more famous than Eisenhower because of the sighting and he was around the world and stuff. The Fourth Air Force came in and gave him photographs and tried to assure him that these were legitimate photographs. And his daughters come out now with these eight by eleven things, look like like close up daylight photographs of flying saucers, where uh, they're giving him this stuff. I mean, if you want to cover up, you're not gonna you're gonna do that kind of stuff. They've been gradually leaking this stuff all the time, based upon the Brookings report. And and according to Bigelow, there's a number of of, of, of groups that have done these studies that basically say you cannot drop this thing on the public. You've got to acclimatize people. So they're going to continue to do this acclimatization thing where they drop the portal idea. And then this Friday, they're going to drop the entanglement thing. And they're just sort of floating these ideas. And they're basically indirectly telling you how this thing works because the president, it's, it's suicide. If the president stands up and, and, and makes a statement, I mean, he might as well commit suicide on national TV because it's over because there's so many things they can't control. So many, so many things they really, J Jim Semivan, for example, the guy who um, is running the Tom DeLonge operation, uh, John Alexander apparently got a briefing from him and John, I think, denies this, but um, it got a briefing and he said, no, this stuff's for real. It's all for real. And John, of course, always says, you know, there's, I've talked to all the three letter agencies and I really don't believe that uh, there's anybody that's, um, that, that knows what's going on. And so, of course, he said to Semivan, he said, well, who's running the show then? And Semivan said, they are. And, and then Semivan told the story about the president being abducted. To, and, and the president was the only one that was abducted. They, they, they froze a news conference and the president was taken out of a news conference and then brought back. And then he came and said, I was, I was abducted. And nobody else knew it. It was only the pre president knew he had been abducted. <clears throat> and according to Semivan, the reason they did it is the same reason they do all the weird stuff they do is just to show everybody who's in charge. We're shutting down nuclear weapons. We're starting up nuclear weapons. We're abducting people. We're secretary general, grab the secretary general, just to give you an idea. And those kind of things, nobody controls. They, they can't put the president up to say, you know, we, they're flying around at will. We can't control them. They're doing all this kind of stuff. And uh, so I agree that there's never going to be disclosure, but there definitely is this gradual thing where I have never seen so much stuff being dropped. I mean, even the fact that these high level guys our names are exposed and nobody goes after him. Same as Chase Brandon. Chase Brandon comes out in 2012. He's the second most powerful guy inside the CIA to talk publicly on behalf of the CIA as liaison to Hollywood. He comes on coast to coast and in front of millions of people, he said, I just want to let you know that Roswell is real, it was extraterrestrial, and there were bodies. Well, why, and nobody chases him. Nobody why, even goes after him. Why even bother with the slow drip of disclosure then and the leakage? I mean, why, why bother? Is it, a, is it that karmic thing that we're... You know, sort of like the dark arts or more of the, the occult thing where if you, you know, you, you release the karma, if you're telling somewhat of the truth or you're, no. you're what well, like, I why? Mean, that may be part of it. Yeah, I may be part of it. That's not what I see. Uh, the guy before um, Ron Pandolfi was, uh, was uh, Kit Green. And Kit Green is mentioned at length. He, she actually, if you look at uh, Andy Jacobson's book, uh, Phenomena, um, which is on New York Times bestseller list, uh, she has a long interview with Kit Green, and Kit Green actually talks about working with experiencers. He's working with experiencers and with highly psychic people, and they have the same brain patterns, and they have the same marker inside their DNA, and he's very open about this stuff. He's basically saying he's got, like, I think he told her 70, but I've heard as many as 100 people, and I know some of the people that are, like, 
like the the two guys from Reynolds from Forest are part of people who've been injured by UFOs. And they've all been through Kit Green has done their DNA and done all this kind of stuff. And he's on the record that, that he's doing this. So they asked Kit Green, what, like, you know, there was uh, the guy wrote, um, uh, what was the book called? Um, uh, the Mirage Men. And he had the whole oh. idea that it was all disinformation. The whole thing's just disinformation. And Mark, he's in Kit Pilkington. And he, and he gives the interview to Kit Green. And this is the interview where he says the hair stands to stand up on the back of his neck. He starts to sweat. He can't believe what Kit Green's saying. And Kit Green's talking about Serpo. And Kit Green says, no, no, don't throw it out. I mean, it's just, there's just classified material in there. And then he, Kit Green says, and this is the key, what would you do if you were in charge? I mean, it's fine to sit on the outside and say, well, this should do this, this should do that, I'd do this. But if you're on the inside, it's a completely different because suddenly it's you that's going to go down if this thing all goes south. You're, you're the guy that's going to be, you know, hanging from the gallows. And so he says, what would you do if you had to, to, to deal with this story? Well, what you do is you put all, the, all these memes out and you say, oh, there's reptilians and they're eating our kids and uh, this is going on and that's going on. You put all these, these crazy memes out. And then when the story breaks, it's just the core story. It's and the core so bad, story yeah. was... Was 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 formed by Kit Green, Jacques Vallée, and Hal Putoff in 1987 in a Denny's restaurant. And this is the idea that yes, there are beings that are here. There's been a crash, and we're not doing very very much with back engineering the craft. That's the core story. So Kit Green says, "Oh, it just turns out to be the core story," and everybody goes, "What? You mean they're not eating our kids?" And then you go, "No, they're not eating our kids." And they go, "Well, what's the big deal then?" It's this acclimatization thing. It's like the gay thing. It's like the African-American thing. You sort of get everybody because when the, the consciousness gets to a certain level, everybody's going to make the right decision. Everybody's thinking about it. And all the aliens are trying to do because the aliens are doing gradual disclosure too. The aliens wanted us to know what was going on. They'd land on the White House lawn and tell us. They're not. They're doing the drip, 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 the little breadcrumbs, little piece here, little piece there. Nothing makes sense. They're making you think through this thing. And both of them are doing the same thing as this gradual acclimatization. You don't want people back in 1947 not knowing anything. You're getting to the point now where most people will say, yeah, there's extraterrestrial life. We can see planets. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's probably true. But, you know, well, whatever, you know. And you're, it's moving to that point where it's not. I remember 75. I mean, it was like just all there was was sightings. And there was none of, there was no abductions, there was no crashes, there was none of this stuff. All that stuff is basically, in a large part, been leaked by the government to, to us. And they're basically setting up the story of what this is about and protecting the classified material. Because in the end, when it comes to government, government is in separation. They don't believe in oneness. They believe in separation. The Venezuelans are bad. We're going to destroy them. We're going to destroy North Koreans and the Iranians and the Chinese are bad and the Russians are bad. And it's me versus you, good versus bad. And so the, the government wants this, this, this thing where we're going to use the technology because there's all these bad guys. We're the light on the hill. We're God's gift to the world. You know, we're going to bring everybody freedom and democracy and, Jesus, you know, McDonald's and Jesus. And, and we're going to do all this kind of stuff. And we have to have that technology. We can't give it to Al-Qaeda. We can't give it to ISIS. We can't give it to the Chinese. We have to have the technology. And it has to be used for weapons because that's the way all, a lot of our technology, GPS, uh, all, all this kind of stuff has come through military technology. And that's the process they've got. So they keep it classified. And eventually that material will will filter into the into the public the technology but right but first of all we're going to use it to, to kill people with so how much time do you think we got then i mean I, like like red's question of of the future of this and and putting disclosure aside which you know so what yeah to okay. like so so there's all these people like like our groups and like the ones you were in there that are going out and, and making some sort of contact ourselves like to me that's growing at an exponential rate oh yeah 
So what are we talking? Two years, five years, ten years? What, what like what do you think before? Well, it depends which group you're talking about. You're still going to have the group that that's simply not going to Except believe it at any, any cost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that and that's the idea behind the gradual disclosure. And I've heard this from the government, and I've also heard this about the aliens. Is that you always want to allow the 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 skeptics to walk away. It's it's not where you're going to confront everybody where worldviews start to shatter and people suddenly realize scientists are going to be the worst affected because scientists are suddenly going to realize that almost everything they believe is wrong. Yeah, that the, yeah. the materialistic paradigm that runs the world is wrong. It's academia. And, and that's that, really yeah. And, and yeah. so that's the thing is you you don't want to you want people to walk away. So it's this gradual thing. So there's certain groups like the, there's our groups which are basically there already who understand that this is for real and it's just a matter of time. Uh, but you're going to have groups that don't really believe where even, um, you know, uh, Danny Sheehan tells a story where the guy, the one guy said, even if it was true, I wouldn't believe it. I mean, people who are, their vested interest were like Max Planck said, science advances one funeral at a time. So whether it's mm -hmm. disclosure, whether it's, it's science, it's, it's going to move very slowly where it's just going to gradually, I think it's going to be like gay marriage or, or African-American rights and stuff like that, where it's just sort of going to happen and people are, but the, 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 the key thing of um, a disclosure by the aliens where they, they actually show the craft and stuff, I, I can't see that. I, I do know this portal thing. If it is what they describe, is really going to change things. Because if they do show uh, Joe Furmich's portal, and they do show this operation of a portal, I, I can't. I think there's going to be some shakeup. I mean, people are going to be because this is not a guy on the street. This is Joe Furmich, who's a big time guy, who's got a lot of money, who's well known in in, in America. Uh, that I think is going to shake it in terms of realizing that. Wow. I mean. Uh, this materialistic paradigm may be wrong. These people may be right. I don't know what they're going to do. They say two episodes. So that can't just be a little talk about portals. It's got to be a little more complex. And yet NASA's talking about portals. NASA's actually admitted that there are portals. And and they have it in sort of a more scientific term of these things occur just for a couple seconds or whatever. But th th this is... Um, and, and that's the problem with the government is what do you do if you're the government? Uh, you, you're, I mean, you give the president the option. You can either let us run this gradual thing for another five years or take, take, roll the dice and hope the stock market doesn't melt down and that, you know, people don't uh, panic. Because as I say, you know, when it, when it actually becomes reality that you don't need oil, I mean, you don't need anybody to panic. All you need is someone to say, man, if I short the stock market, I'm going to make a killing. And you're going to get a bunch of computers shorting the stock market. And then you're going to get a people with stop losses and they're going to hit their 10% and they're going to start selling. And what do you do? How do you turn it around? Because in 9-11, they start, shut the stock market and you could turn it around by saying, okay, somebody stands up on a plane, tries to hijack, well, shoot them. But there's nothing. There's nothing to turn this around. Once it's out, it's out. Once you spilt the milk, I, I maintain. And that's why I sort of agree that uh, the gradual thing is the way to go. And the longer you drag it out, the less problems you're going to have. Red? I, I see I see no disclosure of any sort of I told well I, you asked me for a date so I once X conference Steve Bassett asked me uh, when do you think it's gonna be disclosure uh, across the panel of speakers and it went for six months a year and I said 2042 and Steve was not happy <laughs> <laughs> that, I, that, I, that I would say this in front of the whole audience gradual disclosure is big time I can absolutely assure sure. you this this drip 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 I have never in my life seen anything like it in terms of the fact they're doing this right in the open. And just nobody's paying, like Chase Brandon, nobody's following up on these generals. 
it happens and, and they're doing it right in the open and, and they're not even scared to talk about it. They're right out in the open. They're not even hiding it anymore. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, uh, an essay I wrote, you know, I, I, I said that to me it's easier to ambition the death of the nation state as we currently know it than to see those nation states admit to the existence of a phenomenon that has escaped their control all, all those years, you know. The nation states are, what, 300 years old. The phenomenon has been uh, entangled to us for Forever. thousands yep. or maybe yep. tens of thousands of years, yep. you know. So yeah. Yeah. It this, does is run a, this is a, a long, long game. Yeah. And the other thing I mentioned uh, that I – actually, Trump just confirmed it yesterday – I was actually, I'm doing these little 10-minute things. And the one I wanted to do is, I've written, I've done an article on it, are aliens commies? And I say, yeah, basically they are. And because if you take a look at yesterday, he makes the big speech at the UN and he said, he, he puts down socialism. You know, socialism has ruined all these countries and all this kind of stuff. You know, and, and in terms of the countries he picked, yeah, they, they were very devastated. Same as if you take the real capitalist countries like, uh, you know, Somalia, where they have no rules, no regulations, no government, nothing. I mean, you can take that. But, but he basically says that this is horrible. So the question is, I mean, if you look at, at um, aliens, it's basically a hive. It's basically you put yeah. into the system what, what you can contribute and you take out only what you need. That's called socialism. That's the whole idea of a, like a kibbutz in Israel or like a, a colony like we have here in Canada with the, with the, the Mennonites where uh, nobody really controls anything. If you look at aliens, there's really nothing physical. I mean, the, people talk about you know, them stealing gold and stuff. I say, have you ever seen an experience, uh, any experience you talk about al aliens with jewelry? They have no jewelry. They have no, no designer <laughs> clothes. <laughs> No, no designer clothes, no leather furniture on the couch, on nothing. There's nothing. They, they don't seem to sleep. They don't seem to eat. There really seems to be nothing physical about them. And it's all about this thing about uh, just everybody's doing a job. And so you can imagine Donald Trump, if suddenly uh, it's announced that this is for real and these guys want us all to be one, the Americans aren't great, any better than anybody else. We're Ooh. all just one. We're all the same thing. I mean, nationalism is the last refuge of scoundrels. Oh, There's yeah. no way the United States is going to give up the fact that we are just another human being and that the aliens are better than us and that we should all share. And because the way it works now, instead of the, the hive, it works on the capitalist model. It's rape, pillage, kill and steal. It's like you put as take out as much out of the system as you can and you get a lawyer and an accountant and you put in as few as dollars into taxes back into the system as you can. It's exactly the opposite of, of what the alien model is. So if this alien model does become accepted that this is for real and this is how their system works, I mean, you think that they that he hates uh, uh, Mexicans. You can imagine what he's going to say about aliens when, when it becomes public, <laughs> what kind of political system they seem to have. And there's no doubt that this is, seems to be the system they have, that it's this hive mentality thing where everybody's working for the one. Yeah, interesting. Something yeah, to think about, you know, how maybe maybe they're waiting for us, you know, to to totally obliterate all these institutions that prevents us to uh, work as one, as one people, you know. Yeah. Not, I'm not I'm not only talking about institutions like um, um, churches and banks and, and governments and whatnot, maybe even something like, you know, the nuclear family. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, and then for strangely, I mean, the Trump has gone exactly the opposite. I mean, he's, 
He's basically breaking yep. down all this stuff. Like before you would have thought, well, we're sort of getting there. You know, it's sort of like we're going to, you know, stop the war. We're get, we'll, you know, trade instead of fight and stuff like that. And it's it's just bizarre how it's completely gone the other way. And yet when you look at it through this good evil thing, the idea is that maybe Trump was manifested, that we manifested Trump. We sort of brought him into our reality because everybody was going to sleep and, and he's here to wake mm-hmm. us up, that we, we're running out of time. And, and and then you get these, you know, three, uh, uh, five, five level hurricanes coming through and stuff like that. And you start to look at it and say, well, you know, maybe all this stuff is, is, is maybe for the good that it's, it's getting, it's getting out there because it's, it was kind of surprised me that, that he would be so, uh, unravel all the stuff that seems to be part of, even in the UFO field, people talk about that. People always think that, you know, you go to a UFO, um, meeting and people are talking and showing UFO photographs and talking to And it's always this discussion that we have, you know, like, how does the world work? What's reality is, you know, is there a God? It goes down to the basic reality of what's actually going on, that the UFO phenomena forces you to think about life, that you realize that we don't really, it's not, it's not a simple life that we think it is. It's more complex. And you start thinking like, well, what is really going on? Like, what is actually, where'd we come from? Where are we going? And what's this UFO thing? So it's, it's well, in that way, I'm, I'm always glad that I go, was involved in the field. Yeah, it's like, it's like what you said. I think you wrote it in one of the books you signed for me or something about if UFOs was um, the sporting event or whatever, we're living at yeah. the Super Bowl. Or I mean, you really make that... Yeah. that um, Super you know, Bowl of all stories, yeah. yeah. And people sort of forget that yeah. all the time. But I mean, you know, I also think with Trump and the globalist thing is, I mean, I, I used to be more of, you know, at, at heart, more of a socialist or globalist. And, and, and I used to think that nationalism was, was sort of, you know, out of out of touch but i mean after learning about how the globalist thing is working and the and some of the intentions behind it i mean it doesn't seem it doesn't seem genuine so i mean maybe we need to revamp this whole thing and and get to more of a you know maybe maybe that's what's happening here you know and is it's it's tearing down the system it's like well it's it's it shouldn't work either way it's got to work a better way where you know, we can yeah. be, we can be, you know, national if we want and global at the same time, you know, instead of funneling, funneling funds through, well, you know, NGOs and all this other, uh, all these other, like, you know, there's so much money laundering going on with the globalist system as it is right now. Like that's not healthy either. Although he, that, they're going to get okay, it. Replacing. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Replacing nationalism for corporate, for corporativism is definitely not the idea. You right. Know, like, right. Uh, Getting rid of nation states in order to only have uh, multinational corporations that can do whatever they please, that's definitely not the yeah. way that globalism should be built. Yeah. And speaking of which, uh, Grant, do you think that uh, private corporations are involved in all of this? Oh, absolutely. Oh, for sure. That's what they've done. Like Ron Pendolfi was the guy who shut down the remote viewing program in 1995. But what I say, what they're doing, same with the Blue Book, is what you're doing is uh, um, moving it from the white world to the black world. And the black world is all run by contractors because you don't have to file the documents that you do <laughs> when you're government. And so you run it through giant corporations. And that's the way they've done it almost since World War II is that you get these corporations that um, control the stuff and they, they produce the military technology and then they gradually... They, they, as well spin out the the civilian technology so that's the system they've used and absolutely that that it's all controlled like like lockheed skunk works uh, but it but people think that lockheed skunk works like these guys are 
are running the president. And the, the, the key thing about Trump that shows that, that I now I say to people, I mean, if you think the president isn't running the show, do you actually think that Donald Trump is reporting to a, a cabal that, you know, he's saluting to someone else? I mean, you take a look at Lockheed Skunk Works, the back engineers, supposedly back engineer flying saucers. I mean, he got upset at him one day and tweeted, you know, that they're ripping people off for the F-35. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And their stock their stock went up four, four down $4 billion in two days. I mean, he could just take these people off the map. They, he's got so much power that that's the way you hide it. So you move it from the white world to the black world where you can do this stuff out of the eyes of the public and uh, people make money out of the thing and they're willing to keep it secret by by doing this. Absolutely. If Once you got it in government, I mean, it leaks like a sieve and, and they've used this all the way through the whole thing. Like the other book that Annie Jacobson wrote was the book on DARPA where she talks about how this actually works. It's kind of strange because she almost won the Pulitzer Prize for this this book on DARPA and Jason. And I wrote about that in my first book, Connected yeah. with UFOs, in 1989. And, and, and that's basically how they work it, where you have DARPA that was started in 1958 after the Sputnik happened. And, and America said we're never, ever going to get caught behind, caught technologically, uh, caught by these people. And therefore... Um, they set this thing up and it's got a $3 billion budget and they have 120 project managers and each project manager has like a $150, billion, $150 million budget for research. And they can sort of buy up a lab. So they can go into a lab and just buy up the lab and, and whatever research they're doing or two or three labs and they finance those labs because that's how labs are financed in the United States in their um, their big science labs are all financed by the military because that's the only place you can well, get the Well, the Department of Energy does, the Department yeah. of Energy funds a lot of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so that's they're they're beholden to these these things, and so so if you got 150 million dollar uh, budget and you got 120, I can absolutely guarantee you there's a couple of them are working on on free energy and UFOs because that is they, they their their motto is we take science fiction and make it fact, and so it doesn't really matter. You don't have the the problem that you have in the normal scientific world where you don't dare talk about UFOs because you're going to lose your job or you're going to get uh, uh, you know lose your funding or whatever. You can think whatever you want in DARPA and that's what they want the most unbelievable thoughts ever and let's run these things and see if we can develop this kind of stuff so that's where all this technology is being built and that all goes through private labs and through contractors oh. to build the stuff and and that's the way it's worked for them and it's worked so and they've kept it secret it, it, it's people worked. always think they're yeah. It's, it's worked that way since the early 1900s when Bell Labs started. They called the sure. Idea Factory. They were incentivized to think out of the box, to just sit in their offices and, and dream up ideas and inventions and how to put all this stuff in practice. I mean, that was the culture back then. They had thousands yeah. of scientists working in the early 1900s at Bell Labs developing shit, like yeah. out of yeah. curiosity. And, yeah, and you just, you just protect them from the you know people laughing at them. And lots of people are as interested as you and I. They can see that if you look at the UFO phenomena, there there could possibly be some technology there. These people all can't be lying. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. It, it, is, it is. As I tell people, it is the biggest. If you understand what's going on, this is the biggest story of all times. And I always use the Wayne Dyer thing. I say I try to say thank you three times every day that I got to play in this story rather than being some untouchable in the streets of Calcutta looking for something valuable enough to sell for food for tomorrow. I got to play in the biggest story of all times. And I think this is absolutely fantastic story connected to the, the, the other stories that are, I think are very important, like lucid dreaming and the, the idea of consciousness, that this is the, uh, the, the future of um, everything that, that is. It's, it's just, it'll let you, you'll start to understand how the world actually works. We just are making all sorts of bad assumptions 
about how things work and and the UFO thing has woke me up and I'm sure it's woke up a lot of other people to realize like wow this is an unbelievably magnificent universe yeah so you talked about trying to get out of the field but it doesn't sound yeah. like it doesn't sound like you can yeah. I mean are you gonna so yeah. you got a couple other books to write what are you gonna What's your next steps then? I mean, really, are well, you, can, can have, you stay? This, can you stay in without getting involved at the level of, that you were with the? Yeah, you know, yeah, that's what I'm, yeah, yeah, that's my plan. I, I'm planning to do the Shasta book because it's very simple. Because mm. I've got a lot of this stuff on tape, and I'll just transcribe the tapes and with these witnesses what they said, put that out, and then I've got the music book that came from the other message yeah. I got from yeah. an alien from Chris Bledsoe, and that book's been ready for a year and a half, and I still haven't released it. Now I got to. A whole a, bunch somebody, more material or what? Somebody who's actually really good at music said, oh, started looking and gave me about 20 in like <laughs> yeah. five minutes. I'm like, oh, you got it. So they started giving me stuff. I said, okay, I'll update the book and then we'll we'll put it out. But the book I want to do is, it was another download I got, which was this idea, um, th this thing about reality. Well, how does reality work? So what had happened to me, I was walking in Winnipeg, I'm walking downtown and I suddenly got this idea is I call it the UFO equation that... Um, it's when you do high school mathematics where you have to show your work or you get zero for the answer. Even if you got the right answer, you get zero. You have to show your work so they can see, did you add when you're supposed to subtract? And mm -hmm. what, I, what the idea came into my head is there's a lot of things that we, we sort of assume and we, we are adding and sort of supposed to subtracting. So the prime one is the one we've talked about tonight. Is the, is the world consciousness-based or is it matter-based? So if you believe it's matter-based, I say there's no way you're ever going to solve the UFO problem because it's it's that's the whole thing. You're 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 adding when you're supposed to subtracting. You can do all the calculations you want if you got that mm -hmm. run one assumption. The other and the and then I do the the one um, um, is it um, the the good evil thing um, the the whole thing in science uh, explaining versus under under uh, explaining versus describing. Most people think that science is explaining things. They aren't explaining anything. They're describing. They're describing what's happening. They're saying, this happens, this happens. It's like a cell dividing. This happens. All they're doing is describing what's happening. They're not explaining anything. That these sort of making these all sort of assumptions. And I got 24 in my head, like within minutes, all these assumptions. That's the book I And I luckily, I, I did an outline of the book. That's the book I really want to do because it has some, some key things that, that I think of, or even the thing about light versus darkness. People think there's light and darkness. No, there's only light. And the absence of light is mm. darkness. Darkness is not a thing unto itself. It's just the absence of light. These, mm. these sort of assumptions that when you start looking at things, uh, these, these sort of core features of the universe and get them right, then everything sort of changes. And I got 24 of these in my head within a couple minutes. I remember it was kind of cold. I was sitting on this street and I'm madly writing these things down as they, as they came into my head. That's the book I'd really like to do. And that goes to this consciousness thing. When I had my consciousness download, that just fascinated me so much. Like the savant thing, I, I've even I thought I even convinced um, Gaia to do a a show on savants. That is the most amazing thing. These these savants who can multiply six digit numbers in their heads and they can't button their shirts and stuff that, like that. Yeah, that might that be the easiest stuff. way to prove it, really. Oh, that is just fascinating stuff. And and uh, in fact, there's a woman who wrote a famous book on savants. Is one of the people who's who's now dealing with Ron Pendolfi's wife. She was so fascinated with the story. Uh, she wants to. Do, she wanted to do a book with me, and I said, "No, no. They know I'm doing the book with you. They're not going to talk to you. So go ahead." And she wrote for Scientific Today and and New York Times, and uh, so there's a couple of people on the inside who uh, are working on this kind of stuff. But I, I want to do the the core thing, the uh, what it's all about. It's related to UFOs. UFOs got me there. Is to start looking at um, how does the world really work. 
And because we, we basically, most people grow up and like you go to university, why do you go to university? Not to learn stuff because you need the piece of paper because you're going to make more money if you got a, a law degree or a PhD. And all you do is like, you, you repeat what they tell you to repeat. Nobody's really thinking, nobody's really doing any analysis. So we've, we've come on to a lot of stuff that isn't true, that's taught to us and everybody just sort of accepts it. And some of these just popped into my head as we got this wrong, we got this wrong almost like the Mark Twain, you know, it's not the things that you, that you don't know that, that, that kill you. It's the things you assume that are true, that that just ain't so. Yeah. And, and, and that's the book I'd really like to work on. And, and but uh, again, as I said, like I, every time I try to get out, like the Hillary Clinton book, I got dragged back in. I was out <laughs> and then Hillary Clinton started talking <laughs> about UFOs and I, I had written like 60 or 70 pages on the Clintons and their involvement. So I did the Hillary Clinton book, thought I was out and then, you know, I got dragged in on, on the, uh, when Tom DeLong, because Tom DeLong started talking about evil aliens. And I said, well, somebody's got to put the opposite story. I mean, I mean, if he puts out this thing and he's got all this power, everybody's going to believe e aliens are evil and we're going to start launching nuclear weapons and stuff like this. And somebody's got to tell the other side of the story. Plus, I've seen it before. And that was the book is every year they've done this. They've Tom DeLong, Walt Disney, Robert Emmenager, uh, the mm. Avery. They've done it over and over. They just keep playing the same story again. Chase Brandon, and it goes over and over again. And I said, I want to put them all in a book so everybody can actually, 1947, 1948, 1949, wow. and you start looking and going like, oh yeah, they are doing this every year. This, this is the same story. And and the, the story gets out, it floats around, and then somebody yells hoax, or Tom DeLong's an idiot, or John Lear's an idiot, and every runs for the hill. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Area, Area 51's a hoax. And, and as I point out in my lecture, Area 51 was on a flow chart in 1988, long before Area 51 broke, it was on the UFO cover-up live documentary on a flowchart. And the same as the parapsychology research unit under the DIA was on that flowchart in 1988. It was not declassified till 1995. So you can clearly see that they're they're leaking this kind of stuff, putting it out as they do with every other story. That's that they they've leaked stories on everything else. It's the old idea that they tell the story, and it's like the the victory the victors write the history. So it's going to be their version. They they know history's got to be written, and they want to write their version of history, how it all unfolded. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's interesting. So, Red, do you have any last questions for Grant before we sort of wrap start wrapping this up? I think the only question remaining is uh, what kind of what brand of coffee do you buy, Grant? Because <laughs> my God. And we've been talking for two and a half hours, and it feels like it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. That's why I say, like, when I got these seven-minute interviews, it's like, oh, give me a break. I drink McDonald's coffee. I make jokes. Me and Chris Bledsoe, the experiencer, we have this thing. We both, we spend, you know, three times a day going to McDonald's drinking coffee. So that's the coffee I drink. No, I mean, I really appreciate you going around to all, you know, uh, talking about your experiences and then getting into the, you know, the government stuff again and the consciousness aspect. Like, it, it's really a wealth of information and it covers all the different areas. Yeah, it, it has been numerous different uh, things. And that's why I feel, I feel privileged that I sort of got to do this because almost everything that I did, I, I never decided to do it. I mean, the, the, the music book came from Chris Bledsoe phoning me up and saying, the aliens have a message for you, the message, the messages in the music. And the, the Clinton book happened because, you know, I had done the Clinton thing and she started talking. And the Shasta thing happened because I happened to be going and this phone call came across on the cell phone in the middle of Nevada. Everything, my, my initial sighting. I mean, I didn't want to see a UFO. I had no intention of seeing a UFO. And the thing flies right in front of the car. And I'm going like, what's the chances this thing would fly right in front of the car? It was almost like, you know, we need you to hear. We need you to do it. Because I didn't go out. And then they get caught on the ground and allow a TV crew to catch them jumping off the ground. And so it's it's never been 
never been something I decided. The, the download experience, I was listening to Colin Andrews, and I was thinking about going across the river to Bullhead City to go to the library. I wasn't even paying attention to the lecture, and it was this zoning out thing. It's like shutting the left brain down, yep. and suddenly you, you pop into the other form of consciousness. You know, this sort of uh, collective consciousness. The relaxation response, yeah. Yeah, and, and you pop in there, and it's like a experiences. 40% of all experiencers say at some point during their experience, they had the answer to everything in the universe. <laughs> it's that idea that everything is out there, and it's just the uh, how can you hack the computer? How can you get the password to get on the computer and get the answer? And that's where the UFO thing is. They've allowed people into this world where, and downloading stuff into people that this material is all out there. And there's a way to get it. But I never, almost anything I did, I never intended to do it. I, you know, I was dragged into one rabbit hole after another. Yeah, wow. I mean, I, I know what you mean. I had uh, that my life-changing UFO experience. I got in contact with uh, a couple of the ladies that I was with at the time. And it didn't even phase them. They were like, wow, we just chalked it up to too many beers yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And they, they just forgot all about it. And I was just blown away. So it was really interesting for me to make that contact 20 something years later and it just it's a completely different experience yeah yeah it's almost like the the obsession where it's almost like it, that may be part of the plan that people are in this field it's like we always made the joke because i've been in it for 42 years and i remember <laughs> people would quit and they'd say oh this guy quit and we'd all go don't worry he'll be back <laughs> like, everybody comes back and it's true it's like it's like this obsession that you can't and everybody has their family doesn't really believe them their friends really laugh, laugh at them and stuff like that and people go i don't really care you know i mean it's like it's like this obsession it's almost like they know how to do it they know how to make you think and to make you decide that this is for real and get you obsessed in this sort of thing whereas the american military it's like why don't the aliens come down and and actually just land on the white house lawn and tell us to go on because that's the American plan. We're going to go to Iraq and we're going to tell, we're going to, you know, give them uh, Jesus and McDonald's and democracy, and we're going to tell them how to live their lives and stuff. And within, you know, a couple of months, they're in a green zone where they're, you know, they only come out with huge armored personnel characters because everybody's going to shoot them when they, the aliens know how to do it. They've done probably done this a thousand times on a thousand different planets. They know exactly how to leak this story. Uh, Whereas we think that we just go in there and tell everybody how to live their lives. And that's why I would say to people, you know, if, why the aliens don't come? Because they're not Santa Claus. They're doing something different. They're not here to give us anything or to, you know, whatever. They're here. To, it's all messaging. And it's indirect messaging. And it's making people obsessed with the thing. And you and I and all these people are the people who are carrying the message. For whatever reason, we got dragged into it. We can't let it go, and we are the people who are raising the consciousness of the world. And when the consciousness gets high enough, then everybody's going to suddenly decide, yeah, you know, it's just, this is pretty pretty much for real, and, and everybody's going to go along with it. It's a gradual uh, acclimatization, yeah. Yeah. gradual acclimatization, yep. Wow, so I thanks. guess, yeah, Grant, thanks for coming on. And do, what, do you want to just mention again uh, how people can contact you and stuff like that just at the end of the show here? Uh, White House, uh, what was it? White House UFO yep. at gmail.com. Okay. And there's a meeting Friday. I'll probably be sending out the. Uh, they they only announced the the uh, link a couple hours before. I don't know why they do that. Everything seems to have a sort of a weird plan to what they're doing because it doesn't seem to be the way to advertise to release the link about three hours before. Um, so uh, if they give me that, I'll give them that, and I'll actually update them on this disclosure because I mean, last two weeks ago they lost the portal. Uh, uh, now the uh, Ron Pendolfi's wife is what I'm told. Uh, yesterday by Dan and I got the country confirmed by a friend who's in contact uh, is in Switzerland at this very moment um, helping the Swiss 
to uh, initiate a portal. Wow. So this is the kind of stuff. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It's no, like science it's, fiction. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. And they're, and they're doing this yeah. thing. And they're doing this thing right in the open. You can go on to these meetings and you can ask her, you know, were you in Switzerland uh, doing a portal? Now, she may answer it. She may not. But this is the kind of stuff they're leaking. And it's just like whether it's true or not, it's just so bizarre. It's like, and especially when you realize who these people are. They're not, you know, some woman in, you know, downtown, you know, New York City. Sedona who's, or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it's just, these are people in Washington, D.C. So, you know, so the, is this every Friday then? Because this isn't going to come no, no. out. This isn't going to come. This is going to come out after uh, this Friday's one. So. Yeah. Well, the people that, the people that want can, can can get the link from me. Yeah. Okay. And and they can attend. But I'm going to put on my White House UFO uh, YouTube channel. Right. Okay. After. Okay. I'll, I'll okay, post. Good. I'll post Wait. what happens there. Sometimes they're kind of boring meetings. Or the last meeting they they got into people were were talking about their UFO sightings and stuff, and I'm going like. Come on, I've got all these first-time people that I've talked to these people into coming. This is the greatest thing. And we, I, quit goofing around. Quit, you know, doing all this. Get to the and portal. So I think, yeah, get to the portal. <laughs> Forget to, I don't want to see people's UFO sightings. You can have other meetings. I mean, especially when you have these high-level people. Yeah, and, exactly. and people have a chance to ask some questions. So that that's the thing I think is most important to sort of watch this story. And I do have some high-level people who are watching this watching this story unfold. And so on, if you get up this, uh, I updates where I basically say this is the latest thing to happen. You don't even have to go to the meetings. There's stuff happening every day. It's the most bizarre story ever. Okay, good. And then how do people buy your book, your Charlie Red Star book? Uh, just go to my uh, Amazon, put my name in Amazon.com and okay, my website. Okay. My, my, my Arthur page will come up there. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's all there. So. All righty. Well, thanks so much for coming on again well, and for spending so much thanks. time with us. And if, well, if you're in, for your interest. yeah, and if you're in Calgary, swing by and we'll go uh, meditate in the under the stars one day with a with a group of people. Yeah, I was and... just I was just there a couple of weeks ago coming <laughs> oh. back from Shasta, but oh. but we were zipping through. So I was supposed to do the Dowsing Society there. Oh yeah, and yeah. There's, a, yeah. there's a big music group that wants me. There's apparently a huge music group they're interested in my download music stuff. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, that, that, that that I guess they've had some experiences, and I heard it was maybe 50 people or something. So. Uh, we'll do that. We'll we'll do yours, and we'll do these two people. And I it pays off to make the thirteen hour trip from Winnipeg over there, and we'll we'll get together and we'll do a sky watch. Right on, buddy. And yeah. Then, and, and you make them land. I need them in the okay, bush. Okay. Okay. Thanks. All right, buddy. <laughs> okay. Talk to you soon, Grant. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Okay. okay bye. Okay, bye. 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 All right, Red. I think we're still recording. Okay. Are you still there? Yeah. Right on. Well, what'd <laughs> you think of all is, that? Uh, my mind is wobbling. Well, you know, it was a incredibly stimulating conversation with uh, Grant Cameron. Obviously, everybody who has listened to this, you know, knows that the conversation went all over the place, and I think that's fine. Yes, that's, that's cool. Obviously, there were moments in which I would I would have wished him to like. Slow down and okay, let's let's delve a little bit deeper about you know this thing with the the, the Rama guys and these um, what's the name of the the alien? Uh, I'm through something. Yeah, check my notes. At least yeah. I've been writing like crazy. Uh, and coming from the planet Apo. Yeah, like I said, you know, I've, I've been following loosely the story of these Rama guys yeah. since the nineties. They've been involved in a lot of uh, interesting stuff. For example, 
the first kind of like public, oh, and Terrell, the first public event they had, I think it was in the 1970s. They kind of, they, they invited uh, several members of the international media to join them in uh, the, I think it was the Atacama Desert in Peru, because they said that they were, the aliens were going to land there, right? They managed to gather a huge crowd of reporters with their cameras mm -hmm. and everything, and the days went by, nothing happened. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So everybody said, well, this is bullshit, what yeah. a waste of time. Yeah. Everybody, almost everybody packed their things, except the Rama guys who were, you know, still, you know, confident that something was going to happen. And a few, you know, stubborn reporters. And they did manage to record a few strange lights in the sky. You know, which is kind of like showing how there's this tricksterish thing that uh, when when everybody went, that's when they decided yeah. to show yeah. up. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that is relevant to me because one of those stubborn reporters happened to be Juan Jose Benitez, who is one of my absolute idols in this field, you know, he went out to 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 write a book, UFOs, uh, SOS to Humanity, because mm -hmm. ever since the 1970s, these guys are, are talking, you know, the typical contactee message of, you know, a warning to humanity that we are in the brink of collapse or we are in the brink of blowing ourselves up and all of that. And he became then, you know, one of the most important ufologists in Spain. Hmm. So all of these things, and, and, and tell you, I'm telling you, the Rama thing is truly crazy. You know, the, I, I knew about the, the, these sendras or, you know, gateways they talk about. Yeah. Which are, you know, yeah, picture like a, a, a hemisphere that is made out of, yeah, like energy, like a, like a transparent bubble in the ground uh -huh. the, uh, surrounded by mist and that's what they call uh, Axendra this, this portal but I did remember that uh, the the aliens they were contacting at, at least at the beginning were from one of the moons of Jupiter yeah, Ganymede, Gan Ganymede yeah. and they were six foot tall you know kind of like Nordics but the interesting thing is that they had Asian features, right? They had slanted eyes. Mm -hmm. That's how they, you know, uh, uh, describe them. And then Sixto and his brother, whose name escapes me, kind of like went into a fight. And then they had they they kind of like separated into the two different branches. And it's crazy that the brother went to Brazil and he changed his sex. He became a woman. Hmm. You know, and, and then Sixto was in a crusade for trying to find this hidden city in the Amazonian jungle, this white city where there were all these rec lost records for, of humanity and all of that. And, and there's never been clear, at least I haven't been able to figure out whether he actually, you know, found the city or not. But that's whole part of that thing. I actually, I actually went to a lecture given to him by him when I was still in college. You know, he, he went there and he is a very charismatic guy. You know, I mean, he's still invited in Mexican television and yeah, he's one of those long running, um, contactees. The guy 
I, I had I had never heard about is this guy Ricardo Gonzalez, yeah, this other yeah. Peruvian contact. I feel that I need to I need to check that out, you yeah, know. And yeah. I'm, uh, I'm hearing about all these Spanish-speaking people that is are involved in this, and it's like, hey, you know, Grant, you need if you need a translator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the thing yeah. I I think I like about it is uh, is even though we've talked to Grant twice before. And not too yeah. long ago, even, I mean, a year ago, let's say, this is all fairly new stuff. Like, I mean, it was really, I really felt like I wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of repetitive stuff. It was very interesting. And um, I like how we covered so much ground. I feel that I, I've heard about some of, of some of this stuff from his previous um, interviews. He talked about Wilbert Smith, for example, in that Team Binal yeah. that I listened to, yeah. I don't know, 12 years ago, something like that. Yeah. But I feel that he's been adding something to this. Like he's connecting. He's more more dots and he's, he keep, continues more, more to connect dots. stuff. Yeah. 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 Obviously there's a, there's a danger in that and maybe that you are connecting the dots uh, too hard, you yeah. know, and, and finding links where there may not be. Yeah. But I feel that, that, there's a lot, really, there's a lot of things that he says that resonate with me. It's pri primarily this idea that, yeah, consciousness is primordial in uh, in the creation or the manifestation of reality. I think that is, yeah, something that uh, I came to the same realization uh, a few years ago, and I think that this is something that ufology has neglected to follow. You know, yes. that, that there's something that in the field, there's still these like the, the nuts and bolters, the ones who want to kick the tires of, of, of UFOs. And like Mr. Valdez said, you know, that they want to learn the secrets of the propulsion system. And then there are the love and light guys, you know, or, or how they are, they are mocked by the nuts and bolters who are thinking, they're saying, oh, well, there's consciousness and there's all these things. And obviously there are things about the love and light argument that, I have a hard time uh, accepting like well, crystals and, you know, raising your vibrations and all yeah, these but new that's age. All, that, you know, that's going to be science soon. I mean, you know, we, it's, I, I feel like, I maybe, mean, I feel or, like there's or, something or, or to maybe, that. Yeah. You know? Sure. Maybe, or, or, or maybe there are things that maybe they're go, going too much in a direction that is not really that, yeah, 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 productive or something. Yeah, but, I, yeah but, I know. What you but mean. I definitely think that the, the, the love and light guy is by saying, hey, check, we have to take consciousness into consideration. I am totally on board with that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about the, what about the good and evil part of it? You know, I mean, I remember that from the first time we had him on and it stuck with me that, you know, everything's subjective and I know there's pretty good arguments against that as well, but I, some sure. of that, some of that resonates with me too. Yeah. I'm, like I said, you know, uh, with psychedelics, you can have, have a, a very positive trip and you can have a very negative trip and people say, well, there are not really negative trips. It's just that you have, there is a problem that you're having, but of integrating the experience and actually having to learn out of it you know there's like the, the 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 psychedelics are showing an aspect of your personality that you have tried to you know hide in your subconsciousness and now you are have no choice but to have a really hard look at it and you don't like what you see 
I feel that there's something to that that has a, a strong similarity to the UFO phenomenon, and that's why I keep asking myself, what is the proper set and setting for a positive UFO experiences? You know, the same way that they, they oh, talk yes, about yes. set and settings yeah. with psychedelics. Yeah, yeah. And even even lucid dreaming or OBEs or NDEs, like maybe set and setting is, is the right word for that. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe mm-hmm. it's a deeper thing. It's not just, you know, where you're sitting and where your mind's at, but it's a deeper level of balance in your consciousness. Like that's what I meant by by uh, out of coherence. Like if I'm, you know, maybe sometimes the the experiences flip back and forth between good and evil because my, you know, my archetype or my my deeper fears are coming and going and there's stuff going on in my head that I'm not confident about or, you know, who knows at what level that, that manifestation happens at. I really like that you mentioned that during the interview. I think that was a very poignant uh, thing to consider because, you know, even, even back in the days of spiritualism, there was the idea that you have to keep, uh, the medium pure, like, you know, that if you pass a glass of pure water through a, through a dirty filter, that you're only going to get uh, dirty, dirty water in the end. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, exactly. that lack yeah, of yeah. coherence that you're speaking of is maybe that, yeah, a, a lack of proper mental discipline, a lack of the thing that happens when you are in a dream you know, there are some people that have, you know, all these crazy experiences and they don't know what they're going through and they're, they had, they don't have any control about the dream experience. And there are some people who are trying to discipline themselves and to try to train their mind in order to actually, you know, have some control over themselves during the dream uh, experience. And that is what it's called lucid dreaming. You know, and, and I have had experiences like that, you know, I have had uh, times in which are, you know, semi-lucid, in which I become fully lucid or maybe 90% lucid. And it, it is uh, truly groundbreaking, you know, that, that when you manage to, the dream become less wacky, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. it, it, yeah. it's more manageable. Yeah. And maybe that's what also happens with the UFO experience. You know, I, I think that that's something to consider. Yeah, definitely, man. We got to get you up here too and come out uh, on a, <laughs> on a watch for this once on a, on a C-SETI thing. Yeah, I will be, I will be open to it. Definitely. I mean, I, I, I discarded it, discarded beforehand will be foolish yeah, and maybe probably nothing. Nothing will happen. <laughs> yeah, because uh, there's the, the 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 negative skeptic, the crowd, you know, jamming jamming the signal. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. That's why I won't let Darren come out yet. He's not ready. Oh yeah, he needs uh, yeah. he needs to to do a lot of work. Yeah, the group is only you know as strong as its weakest link. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we should wrap it up here. It's been a nice long three-hour episode, I think, or at least close to that. Uh, so, yeah, we have these long and un- uninterrupted chats, and we don't have any ads and all that because of your support. That's all the listeners out there. 
And the best way to do that is to check out the show notes or go to the website and hit the support link. And uh, yeah, you can donate to the show that way or help us out, send us emails, all that kind of stuff. Red Pill Junkies around. Uh, I'll put your stuff in the show notes as well, Red. And uh, yeah, we thanks. Have, yeah, we have extra content now. Uh, I think this is just going to go in the regular feed this whole episode, but we do have another black budget feed that if any donation gets you a, a manual link to uh, to a separate feed. So Darren will send that out every day. Every day he sends those out with people that uh, subscribe. And that helps us with a budget, with a monthly you know, budget that we can actually start improving things around here and, and planning a little bit for the future. And we can't do it without everybody's support. So that's about it. Thanks. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks for coming, Red. Oh, it was a, a pleasure, guys. You know, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, you got you uh, really add a great uh, element to these uh, UFO chats. <laughs> oh, I hope so.
questions. Amen. Woke up this morning and all my blues was dead and gone. Stop on by, stop on by, stop on by, stop on by, head on over to the Garden Record Jets. Yoo-hoo! 